That to-do list you have needs one more thing. Chill. It's an easy thing to do. Just crack open an ice-cold Coors Light and chill. Take the afternoon off and binge watch anything. Go to happy hour and stay for a couple hours. Who's counting anyways? Or hang out with just your dog because you've had enough human interaction this week. Whatever you do, do it with a Coors Light. Mountain cold refreshment made to chill. 2020 Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. Celebrate responsibly. Hey, it's Kanzano. I appreciate you making this podcast part of your day. Make sure you subscribe if you want more and leave us some feedback. Away we go. Initialize sequence. Welcome to The Baldcast. A production of John Kanzano's Baldface Truth. I don't know if you screamed. I don't know if you uh, shook your head. I don't know if uh, you rolled your eyes. But the Pac-12 Conference CEO group finally got numbers. Finally got numbers put in front of it today. George Klyovkov, the Pac-12 commissioner, I am told uh, this morning, 8 o'clock in the morning, met with his CEO group, one-hour meeting. Uh, the, uh, The group was given... The details of the Pac-12 Conference's media deal. The dirty details of the media deal. Do you believe that a deal that was heavy on a streamer, Apple, does that kind of deal hold this conference together? Is it enough? Pete Thamel, ESPN, had the dirty details in his report on SportsCenter today. And he talked about a, a deal that is heavy in the streaming presence a deal that is uh, is uh, going to start out below market value if you consider the ACC and the Big 12 market value but potentially rise above it if the Pac-12 can get enough streaming presence enough streamers involved will people subscribe will you buy a subscription to see Pac-12 football games I have no doubt you will if you're a diehard Oregon or Oregon State or Washington or Washington State fan. But does it work for the whole conference? Does not having a linear partner work for the whole conference? Is it problematic? There is said to be a subsequent meeting that will take place with the uh, Pac-12 CEO group. Uh, I am reminded of a conversation I had in the Arizona State press box once upon a time with Larry Scott, the Pac-12 conference commissioner. Uh, Larry Scott was uh, in the press box, and as he was prone to do in answering questions about the Pac-12's media rights deal, Larry Scott uh, went and uh, answered and uh, said, call your DirecTV, call your provider, reach out to DirecTV, do what you need to do to put pressure on DirecTV, and I will never forget the the idea that... uh, Uh, Part of that conversation with Larry Scott ended with me talking with him about Apple TV. And essentially, you know, what was going to be a deal that that was always going to be heavy in streaming now comes down to the idea, is it going to be enough? Is it going to be enough to hold Arizona in the conference? Is it going to be enough to hold Arizona State in the conference? Is it going to be enough to appease Colorado, uh, you know, as they look over and do they go, oh, we made the right decision, or does does Colorado go, damn it, we should have stayed in the Pac-12. I don't know. But I am left thinking 
that this nightmare for Pac-12 fans, none of it's very good. You don't want to be talking about this stuff. You want to be focused on football. I want to be focused on the football. And I'm left in the end kind of looking at what has happened now with the um, potential media partner being Apple. And I'm kind of left going, okay, what questions need to be asked? I threw some of those out uh, in my writing on johnconzano.com. So if you are interested in reading all about it, you can. But I'll give you kind of the dirty details. There are nine remaining presidents in the Pac-12. They, you know, I am told that the meeting left at least one person excited, describing it as excited and aligned. Those were the words that were used. Now, that doesn't speak for everybody, but excited and aligned gave me a little bit of enthusiasm for maybe there's a potential deal. Maybe there's a potential path out of this for the Pac-12. But I think the ultimate question is, what is Arizona doing today? They have a regents meeting that is coming up later this afternoon. The agenda item there does not appear to be football-related, but I have to think that Arizona is sitting around today thinking about the potential for uh, this deal to be enough to hold it, or is Arizona plotting right now and negotiating its exit to the Big 12 Conference? I had another conference commissioner ask me that via text message. They said, hey, is Arizona sorting through the details of the Pac-12 deal today, or are they now talking with Brett Yormark in the, in the Big 12 Conference and negotiating their exit? That is the magic question. I want to take the poll. I want to take the temperature. If this is an Apple streaming deal, there are a lot of questions that have to be unpacked. Is the deal part of Apple TV Plus, or is it an add-on subscription like Apple has had with MLS? Would it be priced as an add-on? Uh, what incentive do, uh, do the numbers have attached to them? When do, they, when do the incentives kick in? Who produces the games? Is it Apple? Is it Pac-12 Networks? Somebody else? And is there a linear partner here? Is there an obligation for Apple to go out and find a linear partner? Very important question. I'm working on getting those answers confirmed. I'm sure the Pac-12 members are busy working on those nuances. And I would just caution you to be careful with anybody on social media who's declaring the deal stinks. And also anybody who's declaring the deal's great. Have them, let them get their head checked because you need to answer those questions, and that is not happening on social media. Uh, I have not seen the deal, and nor has anybody on social media, but I can tell you that the nine remaining universities probably have their lawyers and consultants pouring over the details of the, of the deal now, and I'm left thinking about that conversation with Larry Scott in the press box at Arizona State at halftime of Oregon ASU. It was very early in the you know in the apple tv world i can remember because i bought one of the early versions of apple tv and noticed that i think it was the big 10 network or the sec network had an app that was available on apple tv and so i i, le- I was left thinking like gosh pac 12 located in the bay area apple located in the bay area i'm left thinking a little bit about larry scott uh when it comes to streaming here's a question i have for you as well because San Diego State, I know, has not yet been extended a formal invitation to the Pac-12. It's in a holding pattern. And it's, you know, it probably wants some resolution right now. And I think San Diego State would be a nice addition for the Pac-12 if it is, in fact, talking about pivoting to a streaming service 
as its primary entity. But I also think, like, hey, if you're looking at the addition of SMU, does it make sense to add SMU? Does it make sense at all to add SMU if you're talking about subscriptions driving this equation? If you're talking about linear providers, the Dallas-Fort Worth TV market and 2.9 million households, that's a lot of households you can add to the equation. But if you're really talking to me about the fact that, you know, you're going to require rabid sports fans to pay, you know, $9.99 or $11.99, I don't know what the figure is, to get Pac-12 games, I'm not sure SMU moves the needle there. I think San Diego State does. But does SMU move the needle? Does it move the needle for Oregon fans, Washington fans? Probably. Does Arizona State become more interesting? It does, because it has a larger alumni base, has the biggest alumni base in the Pac-12 conference. So if I am following this and tracking this as I think I am, I would would be prone to believing that the Pac-12's deal would be a better deal for Larger schools in smaller markets. Like, I would have to think there would be more subscribers of Boise State football than there would be for SMU football. Does it change the calculus when it comes to expansion in that way? Does SMU still appeal to the Pac-12 conference, or was SMU only part of the equation if there was a heavy linear presence? It's really interesting. It's crazy stuff. 503-417-7575 is the phone number. You tell me what you make of that. Steven, i got to ask you, your immediate reaction to streaming, adverse or not? Um... A little bit disappointed that that was that was you know that was the main takeaway was it's going to be streaming because I do think in college football and sports in general I think still has a linear pathway like that's the one thing on TV that you need to watch and so I think streaming is such an extreme thing to do uh, that it 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 should probably pay off at the end and I think it'll be fine for Pac-12 fans but I think just initially and right at the start it's going to be hard to get all fans. On board that are you know across the nation. I, I don't see people in the South being like, oh, I need to get the Pac-12 network, or I need to get Apple TV so I can watch Pac-12 games, or people on the East Coast. Like, I just, I just don't see that happening. So I think for that reason, like, I'm a little skeptical of the whole thing and a little underwhelmed. But at the same time, like, I I'm fine with streaming it, and I think it you know it accesses me more. Like, I had a, I've had a hard time getting the Pac-12 network and be able to watch games. So now I know you know if it's on Apple TV. I know exactly where I can get all the games. So I like it as a Pac-12 fan because I think just we were we were so uh, restricted on where to be able to find it before. It's going to be a lot more available to us, but I think across the nation people are going to be doubtful of it. Let's go to the phone lines. I want you to weigh in. You're the consumer. You have a vote here. Let's go to Mike, who's in Seattle, Washington. Mike, what's your vote? Uh, well, so I guess I would – I would vote for the linear TV, you know, traditional, because I believe that gets bigger cut market shares and eyeballs watching games of people that are just passing by and happen to see it and stop because the, uh, because the buy game model you know, is just like your podcast and your, um, and your columns that you put out. It's a, uh, 
it's a finite number. It's a very select number that's going to actually look at an Oregon State game, and that's me. I will I will watch that game, and I'll pay for every away game. But that's only six or seven games. I'm not going to watch a Duck game. I'm not watching a Husky game. I'm not watching Cougars. I'm only going to pay, you know, for my team. And so I think then when you add up all the dollars coming in, it's got to be a lot, lot less. And I think that's the dirty little secret is uh, if you have a big, big fan base, it might work. But uh, in the smaller populations, you're, you know, not going to, not going to get enough eyes watching the game. Yeah, I think it's, there, there's a question in there. And I reached out to Bob Thompson, friend of the show. You know he's been on several times. He's the expert in that place. Like, look, I don't have all the answers when it comes to the nuances of what matters in the television world and whatnot. But I, uh, I asked Bob, like, what would you want to know? And one of the questions that he asked me was really interesting. He asked if there would be a requirement that there be a linear component to this. Meaning, does Apple have an obligation to go out and find a linear partner uh, to make the deal work? It, you know, And is it possible, let me just advance the ball if we're playing you know, a game here, or let's play a game of chess, not checkers. Is it possible that Apple knows it's going to buy an equity stake in ESPN and that part of the meeting today was George Klyopkov saying, look, there is a commitment here for Apple when it's in partnership with ESPN or in ownership of one game a week on a linear provider? I don't know that. I don't have that answer. And it's why... I would on social media, and you're hearing people go, this deal sucks, this deal's great. What? We don't have the a answers to some key questions here. And I think it kind of helps explain why they pumped the brakes and said, hey, we need to meet again. We need a second meeting. Now, I was told that second meeting would be about approval. Like some of the presidents and the CEOs in the, in the room do not have signatory authority, meaning they can't just make a decision that is a $100 million decision for their university by themselves. So they have to go back to their trustees or their own board. But I think it raises some questions. Cal's in Eugene. Cal, welcome to the show. Thank you. So my question I've kind of been thinking about for a while, ever since this expansion talk has been going on for a long time, um, and it has to do with TV households. There's so much talk about TV households being such a big part of the equation that I don't quite get why. So correct me if I'm wrong. You live in Portland. I don't. Are people in Portland watching the Ducks or are they watching Portland State? But I'm living in Dallas. Am I tuning in for Longhorns or the Mustang? Why does it matter, regardless if it's linear or if it's streaming or whatever? Yeah. Um, I, I think it, the question, yeah, the, uh, look, we're talking about a pivot in the industry. And I think what you're saying, Cal, tell me if I'm wrong here, is like, you know, I don't want to cut you off. But, you know, for people who are have a big brand, a school that has a big brand like Oregon, is going to yeah. be a big draw in a subscription-based model. It, conversely, SMU sitting in Dallas-Fort Worth, huge TV market, you know, one of the larger markets. It would be the biggest market in the Pac-12 if it joined. But I don't. SMU is a tiny little school with small group of alumni. Probably doesn't move the needle anywhere near Oregon in a subscription-based model. Is that what you're getting at? Yes, but I would say even in linear. So, if, you know, if I'm in Dallas and I can watch yeah. SMU on ESPN or Fox, I probably still won't tune in. I'll probably still watch Longhorns or whatever it is. I don't know why it matters necessarily. Yeah, I, I get what you're saying, but I also, in talking with TV executives like Bob Thompson, they do talk about 
the idea that um, you, the idea that your TV market is how they sell you to their to their sponsors. So that's why the Big Ten grabs Rutgers because they want New York City. Like we all know, Rutgers doesn't rate in New York City, but that's how right. they sell it, and that's why you know the Big Ten conference grabbed USC and UCLA. That they love the brand probably, but they also mm-hmm. were grabbing LA. Yeah. Yeah, I don't quite see it, but it's, yeah. you know. But I don't, don't yeah, but I don't, I, I, get, I agree are, with, but. I know what you're saying. And look, this has been one of the things that I have talked about over and over. It has come up on this show no, no fewer than a dozen times. It's come up in my reporting online uh, no fewer than 50 times with people asking questions going, well, what do you mean when it comes to, um, you know, uh, when it comes to the uh, the idea of the, uh, the the market size, you know, it, you know, it, the the the, uh, the they don't raid in the market, like, but but there are a lot of Boise State fans that are diehard fans, but but you know, the television executives, they when they turn to sell their sponsorships and their advertising to their customers, they turn and go, hey, you're buying Boise. By the way, 517,000 TV households in all of Idaho. That's what you're buying. That's the rate that you pay. So you're buying the potential of the entire market. You're not buying ratings per se. Now, ratings matter. Brand matters. And as I unpack that with the TV executives, they'll say, hey, look, um, you know, the Bay Area is a bigger TV market, for example. Stanford and Cal worth maybe $38 million each. Because they're in the Bay Area. Neither one of them rates. Nobody in the Bay Area is watching Stanford football on TV or Cal on TV. But conversely, Oregon's sitting in Eugene, Oregon. They get credit for the Portland market, 1.1 million TV households. But they also get a little elevation for brand, and they get a little elevation for, for the ratings that they bring. And it's why the Oregon Ducks are, 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 are a close approximation to Stanford when it comes to media rights value. The, the Ducks brand and their ratings raise them up a little bit so that your television households, they matter, but your brand and your ratings matter as well. But if you don't have the TV households, let's just say you're in Idaho, you got a hard time getting over that hump. It's just the reality of it. It isn't fair. I understand. It's why Boise State isn't uh, you know appealing to the Big Ten Conference. Tony's in Oregon City. Tony, welcome. Hi, John. I like it. I like it. I think it's a really good idea. Um, you know, I think it would give um, start time for games a lot sooner than later. I think um, we would be able to um, accommodate um, people around. I'm a Duck fan. Um, accommodate people around the nation to be able to watch games when they want to watch the game instead of not seeing the game at all between the Midwest and the East Coast. And on top of that, I think Disney's going to end up selling off ESPN, and ESPN's going to be in the same boat as Apple is with the Pac-12. We just hit there first. What do you think about that? I think uh, I think it's an interesting question for the CEO group. It's got to be part of their calculus. Money matters. Money's a, a huge driver in this decision. But I think, you know, Tony in Oregon City's right. Everything's going streaming. It's possible that going streaming now positions the Pac-12 a little better than some others. So there might be some advantage to it. Turk in San Jose, California. Turk, welcome. 
Yeah, you know, I listen to uh, the, your callers that, that got me in the conversation. I think streaming is going to ruin the sport because I know that in the NFL, you have to have certain apps to watch certain playoff games. And I'm a direct TV guy. I get this NFL, you know, ticket. And now I got to get other apps to watch playoff games. Are you kidding me? I'm not doing that. Why should I pay more money when I've already paid my money for a full season of football? Yeah. I think that you are signaling that you're about age 50 or older, Turk. Uh, correct. However... <laughs> Why should I have to go advance myself to an app? I understand what you're saying. It's the same question my parents asked when they said, "Why do I have to get Netflix? I got a, I got a Blu-ray. I can play it on a Blu-ray if I want to watch, uh, you know, Pulp Fiction." Now I got to get Netflix. I got uh, all yeah, my DVDs. You had me a Pulp Fiction. You had me a Pulp Fiction. I appreciate you, Turk. Love his calls. But, you know, it's like everybody who in their living room has a stack of DVDs or, worse yet, VHS tapes, you're going to have a problem with streaming. But isn't the <laughs> and, uh, the other one is, uh, like, uh, TV shows on DVD, like The Seasons? I remember that was yeah. a big deal. Now it's just, like, all on stream there. But isn't the bigger deal the fact that, like, with Turk's point, you know, he pays for DirecTV. Now he's going to have to pay extra for more and more and more. Like, the price of it all for consumers i think that's going to be the big big deal because it you know yeah. it, it talked about in the deal how it could be incentivized where you have to get a subscription to it, it kind of just depends on how much you have to pay like at some point people are going to say no we're co you know it's costing too much money to get all these different services yeah and i i think we're all in that point though you know i get i've got netflix i've got hulu We've got Paramount. I barely watch it. I, every month I see that I've been charged for it, and I remind myself, hey, I need to drop that. I, I'm not watching it anymore. And then what happens the next month? There it is again. I think we're all facing those decisions, and you know, everybody's facing those conversations. And here's what I tell people. like, I used to have DirecTV, and I was getting all the sports things, and I was you know, a full package, whatever. It was costing us like $225 a month. It was, it was getting a little silly. And we looked at it, and we were like, okay, let's drop DirecTV. Let's get Hulu. We'll get some basic packages. We'll add on some things. you know. And we did it for around 100 bucks. But now I find myself adding Netflix, adding everything else. I'm creeping back up towards $200 again. But I think you're right. I think you know they all need to get paid. Yeah, because we're in the same boat here. Like we, we had YouTube TV, but we just canceled it. And now we're trying to figure out exactly what we want to do heading into the football season. You know, we have like a month before we got to figure out exactly what we're doing. But – it's tough because everything just seems like it's you know it's just the same exact price to get cable or direct TV now than instead of getting all these uh, streaming streaming platforms now. It's just, it's just crazy. Yeah, look, I want more phone calls. 503-417-7575. Mike in Klamath Falls is going to come on. Sid in Portland is going to come on. John Wilner of the Bay Area News Group is going to join. So Mike and Sid and whoever else calls in, you're going to get both of us answering your questions about this deal. I want to hear where you stand on the idea of the Pac-12 and the Pac-12 networks going mainly to Apple. Is this good, bad, deal or no deal? 503-417-7575. John Wilner, San Jose Mercury News, Bay Area News Group superstar. You can read him at Pac-12Hotline.com. 
He does a podcast with me. We record at least an episode a week. Konzano and Wilner, the podcast. He is with us. Uh, you know, we're talking about the Pac-12's meeting today. Wilner and I are going to take your phone calls as well as discuss this between ourselves. So stay on the line if you're Mike in Klamath Falls or Sid in Portland or Gary in Tualatin and join the conversation at 503-417-7575 if you have a question. John Wilner joining now. How are you, my friend? I'm good, thanks. How are you? A lot of questions. People are uh, wondering what to unpack with this deal. And really, I am uh, i don't have the, the details of the deal, just what we've seen out there, that it's heavy with Apple and subscription-based and may start below market value and has the potential with subscriptions to exceed the ACC or the Big 12 if everything goes right. Um, the immediate things that jumped out to you when you heard it. Well, you know, the commissioner has kind of signaled all along for 13 months or so that there was a good chance streaming would there be a heavy streaming component to this whole thing. Uh, so not that big a surprise. I figured there would be something between it would be either Amazon or Apple with a significant portion of it. What I don't know, a couple of big things. One is, is the deal that he presented the only deal or mm. is the deal that is being reported the only deal or are there versions or other options out there that I'm not sure about uh, and also what is the linear piece that's a that's a big thing right it, we we heard it's primarily streaming but what does that mean does that mean that there are 20 football games on linear does that mean there are 10 on linear I, does that mean Apple would have to sub license games to ESPN I don't I don't know but those are a couple of big picture things that are interesting John Wilner with us. Uh, Wilner, it's interesting. That, you know, I asked Bob Thompson what questions he would have. He said, is there a uh, requirement that Apple find a linear partner? Who's producing the content? Is it the Pac-12 networks? Is it Apple? Um, you know, uh, and then here's another question for you I, I've been thinking about. Does SMU become less attractive if it's a subscription-based service? Given that it's a small school with small alumni, it's in a big market. But does media size, does media market matter in a streaming world? Uh, it might not, but that's also why it's interesting to, to try to figure out if there's a linear component too. Because if there is, then SMU would have some value. But yeah, no, we don't know. Uh, there's a lot of lot of elements to this that we don't know, right? And one of them you kind of touched on. Uh, ESPN is looking for an equity partner, right? So uh, if Apple is, is – there's a good chance Apple could end up being that equity partner that is, a, you know, strategically aligned with ESPN. So how would that impact Apple potentially sub-licensing Pac-12 games on ESPN, right? The, there's that element of what's going to happen in the future with the media world that – and Apple being a huge player in it that you, you can't ignore that when you're assessing uh, the Pac-12's relationship with Apple, but we just don't know enough details to know if it's, you know, a, a, a positive thing for the conference or it would be a negative thing. John Wilner with us. Let's take some calls, Wilner, uh, and we'll both kick this around. Let's start in Klamath Falls, where Mike in Klamath Falls is going to join us. Mike, you're on with Konzano uh, and Wilner. Uh, go ahead, Mike. Hi there. I just want to let you know, first off, I'm 70, so that couches my comments, <laughs> as you well know. Yes. I'm also a 
OSU alumni, so that's the other factor. A couple of things I know. The Pac-12 network was horrible. True. Uh, I was paying twelve ninety nine a month through my cable provider for it, and I don't know why, because there was nothing there to watch. So anything that Apple provided would have to be better than that, I, I'm thinking. Uh, I'm, I'm probably going to have to get off linear, I guess. And I, I can do it because my grandkids are on Amazon for the cartoons or whatever. So yep. I'm capable of it. It's just hard when you're old. And it's going to be a big hill to climb, I think, with people that are used to cable. Yeah, uh, and my parents are among that. that. You know, my parents are in that world. Uh, Wilner, what do you say to Mike in Klamath Falls? Well, I mean, that's that gets back to what the uh, original strategy was. You know, Commissioner George Kliakov heard from so many people across the Pac-12, I can't get the Pac-12 network, I can't get the Pac-12 network. Uh, you got to do something about that. And so his strategy was that Pac-12 uh, content would be uh, connect, uh, available in any piece of glass connected to the Internet. And I believe that is a direct quote. Any piece of glass connected to the Internet. You got an iPhone, you got an iPad, you got a Mac, uh, MacBook Air, whatever. You know, if there's a deal with Apple, it's probably going to be pretty accessible on any of your devices is my guess. Good point. Let's go to Sid in Portland. Sid, you're on with Wilner. Go ahead. Hey, guys. Uh, my question is, revolves around recruiting and how this is going to affect mm. recruiting. For example, like Scoot Henderson, growing up in Alabama, said he grew up wanting to play for Oregon Ducks football because we had that exposure. Yeah. And a lot of the families we might be recruiting might not have the disposable income or live in an area where the Pac-12 subscription makes sense for them. Yeah, that's why I think the the linear component of this is interesting. What is it? Is there an obligation for it? And I do think if you ask the Pac-12 football coaches and men's basketball coaches, they would tell you they like being on ESPN. They like being on Fox. They see that as a recruiting advantage when they're on those on those platforms. Wilner, is there a long play here if if Apple ends up owning ESPN? Is it possible that Apple goes, yeah, we until ESPN Plus becomes a direct-to-consumer thing, one game a week in our Pac-12 package will be on ESPN. I mean, how do you how do you sort of balance the recruiting element of that? Well, yeah, no, I agree that you know they do need to have some kind of anchor for ESP on ESPN. No, no doubt about that. But again, I get back to with recruiting. What is every 18-year-old doing all day every day? They're staring at their phone. So, you know, if you're the Pac-12, uh, getting, you know, prime access on a recruit's phone is a pretty good way to, uh, you know, to get to them. But, again, it depends on what is Apple going to do for promotional uh, in, endeavors for the Pac-12, how accessible will it be on your phone. But I just think there's that's part of what we don't know, but there's also a lot of potential because if, if the Pac-12 has got great uh, support from Apple, you know, on the iPhone, for instance, that's a pretty good recruiting tool. In fact, I can't think of a better one. Yeah, that's a good point. Uh, I, hadn't, I hadn't thought about that in that, you know, I don't think kids are going to see streaming the same way that, you know, 62-year-old guy who has no. been watching his games on ABC is going to see streaming. Um, 
the you know the comment I got from one person who was on the call was that there was some excitement and I believe it was unity there was some excitement for a deal and you know subsequent meeting but I think as I started to ask questions what I really drilled down to was the the presidents and the chancellors are going to have a ton of questions that they're going to want their consultants and their attorneys to look at when it pertains to the, as it pertains to the deal yes absolutely and it this could take you know, everybody wants it to end soon, but this could take, you know, I don't know, another couple of weeks. And, and yeah. a lot of it will depend on Arizona, Arizona State, Utah, what they do, how accepting of this deal they are. And it also depends if are there other deals. What don't we know, right? I think my guess is that there's a fair amount that we don't know, not only about this deal, but about the linear piece or the other options that might be out there. Uh, so... Uh, it's, you know, it's going to, I'm sure it'll be resolved before the football season starts, but it's going to take the campuses a little while, like you said, to, to work through this. Our guest is John Wilner, Bay Area News Group. Uh, he ho- co-hosts the podcast with me, Kanzano and Wilner, the podcast, expert on the Pac-12. Gary is in Tualatin. Gary, go ahead. Hey, John, go Ducks. Uh, you guys are running out of lipstick for this pig. Um, it sounds like pay-per-view for to me, and uh, it really sounds like desperation. I don't think they have an offer, um, and I can see why with SC and UCLA leaving. Um, I'm back to the same thing. Go Big 12. And uh, you win the Big 12, you're in the tournament. Okay. Who who goes to the Big 12? The, as much as left of the Pac-12, Pac-8 or whatever it is. Okay. I, what if there's not room? What if what if the what if the Big Twelve says, "Hey, we can only take one more"? Well, when the, then is, that door is closed. But uh, if, you know, if you're you're telling me if your ducks 20. if your ducks are on Apple, you're not going to subscribe and watch them. I'm going to have a hard time. Yeah. Wow. I I I bet you, Gary, that you end up. Well, watching. I will because I'm an avid fan and I got no choice. <laughs> I, and you know, you it's started got a my, in my head. But I'm not going to be by, happy about it. No, I'm not happy about a lot of things. You know, I'm not happy I have to take my garbage cans up a hill to get to the curb. I still do well, it. I don't have an extra million dollars <laughs> to just spend here and there. And you said you wanted to hear from the consumers. No, well, but we're it's, broke. is it a million dollars to subscribe? Like, we all have to make decisions on, you know, I think I think there's going to be a division, Wilner, between younger consumers and older consumers like never before. Maybe it's well, always you know, been a thing. That's what we're seeing. MLS is is an interesting model, right? MLS has got to deal with Apple, uh, and uh, it's doing very well for MLS because it's a, a younger, um, more tech-savvy uh, audience. And I think for the Pac-12, there'll be something, uh, you know, we could see something like that too if this goes through, that, you know, younger, younger fans are excited about it and uh, older fans are not, so, you know, something like that. Yeah, and I, and I look. I appreciate Gary's call. He adds perspective. He's speaking for a segment of the audience that's very frustrated at the thought of doing something different. And I get it. I understand that. Jeff is in Portland. He wants to talk about the uh, recruiting and the NIL possibilities. Go ahead, Jeff. Well, so previous caller was talking, and you guys have been talking about the impact on recruiting. Doesn't it seem like that? High school recruits for football and basketball, at least, have fallen off close to by half because of the portal and NIL, and that the 
the art of recruiting has changed. Yes, there'll be the five and the four stars maybe, but uh, I have a neighbor who is a uh, walk-on at Oregon, and he was all state, and he uh, thought that he had a chance to go in on a ride, but instead he's a qualified walk-in or something like unqual- whatever it is. He's a walk-on. He gets a preferred everything. Preferred walk-on. Preferred walk-on. Preferred walk-on, and he gets everything yeah. uh, but uh, housing and scholarship. But it just seems to me that uh, not only is the face of college sports changing, but recruiting is changing because there just isn't the – they aren't going after the pool, the deep pool of recruits like they used to. So I'd just be interested in your thoughts on that. What do you think on that, Wilner? Well, certainly the transfer portal and NIL have changed everything, and there's going to be more changes coming, right? Because eventually, and I don't know if it's going to be in two years, five years, eventually student-athletes are going to be declared either employees or semi-employees and are going to have some kind of access to uh, revenue. You know, There's going to be a revenue-sharing agreement with the schools, and so that will also impact the whole talent collection process, if you will. Uh, I don't know that the media rights, you know, got to think through how the media rights deal with with Apple would impact NIL and transfer portal and all that stuff on the recruiting front. A lot of those things are just tied to, you know, the donor, the your donor base, the passion and the the wealth of your donor base are are critical in the uh, NIL world. Let's go to Sean in Vancouver. Sean, you're on. Hey there, fellas. Uh, so, you know, a couple of comments. Number one, uh, I, I don't pay in. If this is what they do, I won't play, pay any extra money to watch uh, any pack nine games or whatever pack number they are at this point. And, you know, the, the, the problem is is that the, the only premier school left right now in the, in the pack whatever is Oregon. The rest are second-tier schools. So what's the guarantee that Oregon will stick around? You never know where they could go. I mean, at this point, especially after Colorado bailing, because Colorado's got a very shiny light at the moment because of old neon. But what's the guarantee that any of these schools, you know, that includes now Utah, the Washington schools, the the, uh, Arizona schools, are going to stick around to take advantage, quote-unquote, of this great, quote-unquote, opportunity, right? Well, first of all, let's talk. I love what you introduced there, Sean. Wilner, is it Oregon and everyone else in the Pac-12, or do you see different classifications? I thought that was pretty interesting. Uh, you know, I think Washington has to be considered right there with Oregon in terms How about of Utah? premier programs. And, uh, you know, and certainly in terms of the TV valuation, Washington and, and Oregon are at, at by far at the top of the other heap in the Pac-12 at this point. So uh, what? there's no option for them right now. The Big Ten does not appear to be interested in expanding beyond 16 schools. So I don't see where uh, Oregon and Washington would go, uh, quite frankly. So, you know, they're, they're locked in. And if they're locked in, that means that uh, there's a – Good chance that obviously Washington State and Oregon State are locked in, and Cal and Stanford too. So there's like the core six, and everything kind of hinges a little bit on what the other three uh, from the you know the Mountain Time Zone schools are are going to do. Yeah, and I think 
preseason or week one, you know, if we're talking about just this season, I think Oregon might end up behind Washington and Utah and USC in the early rankings until maybe week two when they get a shot at Texas Tech. Nuri is in Tigard. Nuri, you're on with John Wilner and, and Canzano. Hey, guys. Uh, first of all, I'm a 63-year-old boomer who loves YouTube, Apple TV, Netflix, and watching it on whatever screen I have, so I, I will not be agreeing with the rest of the folks. i got two questions for you guys. Okay. First one is, if this is on Apple TV, is ESPN and SportsCenter, and are they going to really cover it because they're covering a competitor, or will they back mm-hmm. off on that and does it matter? Mm-hmm. Second question is, um, if this was a really good deal, wouldn't we be hearing some leaks like, hey, we got a Big 12-like deal, this deal's going to knock your side? It's hard for me to be optimistic when I don't hear those rumors, mm-hmm. and am I just being too pessimistic? No, I, I, like, I like how you think, Nuri, and two things. I'll, I'll go second part first. It occurred to me, and I think, Wilner, you're on the same page, that the reason we didn't hear some leaks is this is a non-traditional media provider. This isn't ESPN. This isn't Fox. The normal media world reporters aren't in on it. I also think the Pac-12 is really worried about being undermined by the Big 12 at this point. I think they're keeping it close to the vest. And I also think they wanted to wait a little longer uh, to to let this get out there. Go ahead, Wilner. What do you think? Well, I think it's also interesting that uh, a lot of the details – the only details really have come from an ESPN reporter uh, who's an outstanding reporter, but it's just an interesting dynamic to add on to what you said. You know, the other the other issue that, that the caller raised, the, the first piece is very interesting, you know, but again, if, if Apple is an owner, either a, a you know, 10%, 20% strategic partner with ESPN in, in a few years, that changes things. And then you look out five years, seven years, you know, a lot of this deal is to set the Pac-12 up for the next deal in five years. And so you ask yourself, mm. five years from now, who do you want to be uh, locked arms with in, in the sports media world? And you could make the case that Apple would be at the top of that list because they got the money to own everything, essentially, right? I mean, they could end up buying ESPN completely in a, in a few years. So that's one of the things that Pac-12 presidents are considering is what is this deal going to do for us in five or six years when we have to go back to the negotiating table? And that's where you can really make the case that being uh, aligned with Apple would be uh, beneficial. Yeah, and I think, too, I do agree that the glow of the shoulder programming on ESPN is worth something. So I understand what Nuri was asking. Uh, Wilner, I appreciate you, man. Uh, we got a podcast episode coming up later this week. We'll cover it all. Stay on it, man. Appreciate you joining us. Thanks for having me. There he goes, John Wilner. More of your phone calls. If you're holding Ace in Seattle, Mike in Salem, sit tight. I'll be here. I'll take more questions at 503-417-7575. What else is going on? Steven, uh, Astros uh, made a trade. Justin Verlander goes to Houston from the Mets. They got some prospects. It's not the Damian Lillard trade. Um, Also, uh, you have some other baseball movement. You have the U.S. women's national team. Uh, I saw a great tweet. I think it was Dan Wetzel who said, hey, they wanted equal pay with the men. They didn't want to play like the men. 
U.S. Women's National Team uh, with a draw in the uh, Women's World Cup. They're going to advance, um, but uh, look a little listless. 0-0 draw against Portugal. So we'll talk about those kinds of things coming up top of the hour as part of Punch It Audio. Uh, nothing like soccer people getting angry. Uh, let's go to Mike in Salem. Mike, I mean that with all due respect. Mike in Salem, what do you got? What's on your mind? Hey, I appreciate your show. You do a good job. Thank you. I agree with a couple of the earlier callers about the streaming TV. I don't care for it one bit. I've got grandkids, and I'm older, and, and they we have it for them, and it seems to work. But I tried to watch the keep on it last year. I actually did on Amazon. And I like to sit there and dance between during the advertisements from other sure. games. You do that with the streaming, you miss a quarter. Right. So I hated that part of it. And secondly, or lastly, on your opinion, do you think that there's some sort of a deal in the mix with these non-traditional sports broadcasters now, uh, Apple and Amazon, that this is a way to unload the Pac-12 network and get that albatross off their neck? Yeah, it, all along, they never should have been – the Pac-12 never should have been a media company. We know that. They never should have fashioned themselves a media company. They should have um, been in partnership with Fox or ESPN with the Pac-12 networks, maybe owned a percentage of it. That would have been fine. You see some other conferences do that. But the minute they boxed themselves into being a media company, they had to make the long play. They had to invest the resources. It's part of why they fell behind. And they also didn't have quite the inventory that the other – that the others had to offer when they were selling to ESPN or Fox because part of the inventory was committed to the Pac-12 networks. So that was problematic. That was a misfire. Never should have got in that business. Uh, we'll take more phone calls, including Ace in Seattle, 503-417-7575. We're going to play Punch It Audio this hour. Later in the show, Michelle Bodkin from KSL in Salt Lake will be joining us in the 5 o'clock hour. Where is Utah? on all of this how happy is utah in the pac-12 conference i don't want to be uh upset at people who are saying i won't pay to stream but i would just remind you that a lot of us said that about netflix and why would i why do i need netflix i've got every season of the office on dvd <laughs> just saying the world is a changing how many how many iPhones out there in existence? Do we know? How many iPhones exist? Okay, I got it. 1.46 billion active iPhone users worldwide. Every one of them with an opportunity to watch a Pac-12 game. Just saying. If you're hitching yourself to a wagon, Apple's not a bad wagon. Ace is in West Seattle. He's been holding for a while. I appreciate your patience, Ace. Hey, Welcome thanks to for the taking show. my call. You know, that's you a, I'm going to segue off of that last statement you made there. And what's interesting is my grandparents, back, you go back to the 50s, and when television was new, that older generation did not like television. And they, they did not like their kids watching television. Television was a bad thing, and it was a fad. It was going to go away. And so everyone, <laughs> everyone sees things through their own unique kaleidoscope, like the gentleman that talked about mentioned Oregon and I, from where I sit Oregon State is the premier, the only premier program in the league yeah. and it's Oregon State and the eight dwarves so you know I mean it's everyone's got their own perspective on this and 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 I understand the generational thing and I think this is 
everyone is speculating right now. So let me chime in with my own speculation. And I think the move is brilliant based on what I'm hearing because we don't have enough information. But this is the future. And this is this is meeting Steve Jobs in his garage. And all of a sudden it's going to take off. And, and you know, it's, you know, Griffey's, Griffey's dad told him back when he was, you know, talking about going to the Reds, he said before he signed his, his second deal with the Mariners, he says no one's, no one's going to treat you better than the team that drafted you. So, mm. you know, who knows? Apple might, might – this might be a relationship that they really benefit from in the future. But I, I, think, I think it's the future, and it's, for, it's got tremendous foresight. We don't know all the details. And the question is, will, you know, will the chancellors, who are, you know, about 10 degrees uh, – 1,000 degrees smarter than I am, um, will, they, will they come to the same conclusions, and will the ADs be on board with it as well? Because um, that's obviously the people that need to make the decisions. Yeah, and it'll be really interesting to see, do the coaches see it the same way as the presidents and chancellors? Like, the presidents and chancellors may look at a partnership with Apple and go, oh, that's really cool. That's cutting edge. We are all about that. But is Kyle, does Kyle Whittingham go, on Apple? You mean, you know, my family can't watch the game on linear TV? Like, I don't know. I don't know where the coaches will stand on that. It'll be interesting to unpack it. I think it's probably why, like, I groaned. When I heard that the, the, they had a meeting and they did not come to a conclusion, but they have scheduled another meeting and they expect to come to a conclusion, like I groaned when I heard that. And then I kind of pivoted to kind of unpacking the deal, or, or at least the parts of the deal that I knew existed, and asking a lot of questions for people who didn't want to, like, there were, like a lot of people who were in the room did not want to give me answers. I told somebody today, I said, my job today was to find out what was going on in a room filled with people who don't want anybody to know what was happening in the room. And it was really hard today to get information, different than some other days, where people were more willing to talk. And I felt that that probably was an indication of the maybe the solidarity in the room or maybe just the fact that like people know, hey, there's a, this is very complex. We want to take all this information back to our consultants and our lawyers and then let's reconvene. Like, I kind of, after a couple hours of trying to unpack it, I went, yeah, I could see how it would be really difficult for the presidents at Utah and Oregon State and Oregon and Washington and Washington State and other places in the conference to be like, yes, I have an answer right on the spot. You know, they're going to they're gonna want to unpack this stuff, talk to their constituents. Let's go to Matt, who is called in from Austin, Texas. Matt, what's going on? John, it's good to hear from you. I, uh, I'm calling from from traffic here in Austin. I, uh, I, my, the reason I'm calling is, you know, I, I just think that in regards to the Pac-12 network, I mean, especially living down here in Texas, right, where mm-hmm. you know you've got a, you've got a, you've got a business basically going on in, in what University of Texas is. You know, we were already in a back seat compared with our network compared to everybody else. You know, I mean. Not much is changing in that regard in regards to how hard it is to watch. I'm a duck fan down here, so how hard it is to watch the ducks. I don't I can't I mean getting the Pac twelve network was not was not easy. We were basically sharing a uh, a login amongst friends, right? And so, you know, which which and, and not to mention the games are at eleven o'clock at PM and so no one watched. And so by Accepting this deal and, you know, what, no, what we're also forgetting to remember is that we're also accepting a lot less money compared to the $80 million that Ohio State is going to be getting on a yearly basis. You know, it's basically admitting defeat to the Big 12 is, is, is what we've positioned ourselves in. And it's, 
I just think that, you know, it's easy to get caught up in how, oh, well, it could be the future when you live, you know, up in the Pacific Northwest. But when you live down here, and you, I'm literally driving past UT Stadium right now as I, as I speak to you, you know, it's obvious that we're in trouble, you know. And, yeah, unless, yo, unless I, I think no them. doubt. I think no doubt college football and the landscape as we know it is under fire. I talked to a number of conference commissioners today in other conferences, and one of the conference commissioners said, you know, honestly, if we could just walk away from the ego, from the academic snobbery, and do what was best for the athletes, the college landscape would be a better place. The problem is there are a bunch of financial incentives, too, that are layered on top of it. And so you have a bunch of competing entities who are all saying, I need a little more, I need a little more, I need a little more, at the expense of each other, and they're just killing each other. And and the Pac-12 has been in a more advantageous position at other times. Now it finds itself at a disadvantage. It could be five, seven years from now they're back at an advantage. But I do think the sands are shifting beneath the entire ecosystem. And I do think that, like, if you're in the position that the Pac-12's in, you know, we don't know the deal. We don't know if there is a condition in the deal that requires a linear partner. Now, if there is a linear element to this, I think you're going to have an easier time selling it to nine universities. If it is all streaming and there's no linear component, it, it may be a challenge to get all nine to say, hey, yes, we're on board. But I don't, I'm not privy to that right now, and I would caution people who are passing that on and you know a lot of media experts it's kind of like the olympics they come around you know every four years oh it's curling everybody's an expert on curling oh diving and swimming everybody's an expert on diving and swimming during the olympics oh figure skating we settle in oh that's you know that's a 10.0 like we all become experts in the olympics i feel like everybody's like a media world expert now and I think what we also need to remind is it's okay for us to sit back and go, hey, we don't know the we don't know the deal. We don't have it. And I'm not here to say it's a good deal, and I'm not here to say it's a bad deal. But I am here to say that it appears that Apple is the major component of this deal, and it looks like a subscription-based platform would be a big piece of it. But are the presidents and chancellors, and maybe we'll get some of that information in the next 24 hours, are the presidents and chancellors also looking at uh, a part of the deal that includes a linear component. I just think it's really interesting that it's so quiet. It's really quiet. Like, I don't have my normal sources in the room responding to me in the way they did before. And i got to be honest with you, I'm not sure if it's good or bad. It could be that they have decided in solidarity that a deal's close, they don't want any information out, they feel like they like the numbers, they feel like this is a positive deal hey nobody's talking and the only information that is seeping out is coming from the espn world which is interesting as wilner pointed out like that kind of tells you is there some espn involvement in this deal are they getting one game a week and if they are maybe that's enough for the nine members of the conference let's go to josh in vancouver josh welcome hey john how's it going man going what a well. day today huh <clears throat> what a it, so, it's been just a wild year hasn't it <laughs> It's been a crazy year. Hey, I'm going to add a different take to this, and I'm really interested to hear your thoughts. But you pointed out something a second ago when you were talking about how you feel like the temperature in the room changed today. I agree with that, and here's the reasoning why I agree with that. I think that the 
academic folks at all the universities and the people who are focused on academics, they probably saw what George Klyovkov put in front of them today and were absolutely stoked because it was something. And they don't have to listen to the sports crap that they don't want to hear about and that they care less about. They just want to go back to business as usual about figuring out how they can build the next law office for the prospective university, right? I think that there were some university presidents in that school that were for universities that really do care about sports, particularly that care about their football programs and are ready to go all in and make sure that football is the top of the pecking order when it comes to the focus of the university, when it comes to what are they putting money into that's generating revenue back to the universities. I think that whatever the proposal was, it clearly wasn't good. And I think that it wasn't good from the perspective of is the schools that care about putting football and making football king because cash is king and the changing media environment. I don't think that the deal was sexy for those schools. Everybody mm. else probably was great. And the, those care, those schools that care about football, they are definitely the minority in that room. And I think the the calculated colossal mistake that George Leofkoff made today was he catered to the majority which isn't good for the long-term health of the conference. So my question to you is, do you think that George Klyovkov literally has a clear understanding of the importance that, role, that, that football plays in the role of the health of the future of the conference and how, that, how football is tied to this media right deal? Because planning five years down the road, this conference won't be around in five years. So making deals to say, hey, we're going to get delivered the, the future and the fortune five years down the road. We listened to Larry Scott say that for a decade. And where did it get us? It got us to the conferences about to implode. So my question to you is, John, do you think he's a little bit naive to what he thinks he's doing? Uh, I'll take your answer off the air. Love the work, brother. Keep it up. Appreciate the phone call. Part of this is you have to understand that getting a deal done isn't just getting what you want. It would be very easy for George Klyovkov to say, look, we want uh, $90 million a year per school. We want to be on ESPN and Fox. In fact, we would like to replace Amazon on Thursday night, and we'll play a Thursday night game on Amazon Prime we'll, instead of the NFL. Like that would Ideally, yes, you get all the exposure, you get all the revenue. But I think what the Pac-12 is facing is a media landscape that has been eroded by the hit that ESPN has taken, Disney wanting to splinter off ESPN. You're watching media companies with massive layoffs. Uh, happens to be negotiating this deal at a time that is probably the worst time for the Pac-12 to negotiate. And, oh, they're negotiating from a position of weakness because – the Big Ten already has a deal. The SEC's locked up in a deal. The ACC has a long-term deal. And the Big 12 Conference jumped the line and just said, we'll just re-up our existing deal because they were afraid they were going to end up in this spot. Now looks like they were smart to do that because they left the Pac-12 in a position where they were the last one to eat, which normally would be a good position to be in if you're negotiating, but it's not in this climate. So I think... Part of the play right now for the Pac-12 has to be, hey, you know, the ship has sailed on outbidding, getting more money than the Big Ten Conference, getting more money than the SEC. You're never going to get there. 
So it becomes now keeping them within view of the windshield, front windshield, and maybe playing a chess game that is geared to five to seven years down the road. And I understand what the caller is saying. Like, you know, you don't want to be, you don't want to cut a deal that, that puts you in a position that, you know, never comes to fruition. Hey, we're wishing and hoping that, you know, streaming becomes a thing and you get in position. But when you have Bob Iger at, at Disney saying ESPN Plus is going to a, you know, all streaming direct-to-consumer product and you have ESPN saying we would like to take on an equity partner, there are only a handful of equity partners that fit what ESPN is looking for. ESPN wants a partner that can help it pivot toward a all-streaming, direct-to-consumer model in the year 2025. That's, that's what's out there. So it's either Apple or Amazon or Google, primarily those three, that come and fit that bill. They've got loads of cash. They could do the streaming thing. They're well-equipped for it. And, you know, they're dabbling in it already. And Apple is more than dabbling with Major League Baseball and MLS. So I do think you have to, if you're in that position, you have to start thinking, okay, it's not just about getting as much money as you can get now. It's about not being in a crappy position five years from now. You know, we all have a plan for today in our own household, right? You must. What, what are you doing today? I say that to Anna. What do you got going today? She'll say, what are you doing today? What are your plans? Okay, you have a plan for today. But you better sit down at some point and go, hey, what's our long-term plan? Where do we want to be in five years? Where do we want to be in ten years? And it's very easy to say, oh, you know, we want to be at the top of the mountain, you know, today and in five years. And, and the Big Ten probably finds itself in that position, or the SEC probably finds itself in that kind of position. But I don't blame the Pac-12 for going, hey, we're hosed right now trying to find out how you survive this short-term storm. But, damn it, we better be thinking about five, seven years from now because you don't want to remain here. Because what happens if you just think about today is, you know, you never, you never get out of it. So I don't blame them. But I, I do think the Pac-12 made some horrendous, horrendous decisions, horrendous, you know, strategic decisions. The decision now to not gobble up a potential, uh, a handful of pa- uh, Big 12 schools when it could have had them, TCU, Houston, could have had them a couple of few years ago. Probably could have had BYU if they wanted them a few years ago. Decision not to do that uh, is haunting the Pac-12 right now. The decision to have their own standalone network and become a media company, not a great decision. Helped lead them to hit this position. Uh, the decision to have their their last TV deal be a 12-year deal it was way too long. Should have been a five-year deal, seven-year deal at most. They would have been in a, a far more advantageous position. Should have considered what USC and UCLA would have wanted to stay in the conference before they announced they were leaving, too late. Once they announced they're leaving, it's too late. So I think there was a number of misfires. I mean, Stephen, help me out here. Like, Pac-12's not, not uh, in an ideal position. No, they are not. Um, you know, I think their backs against the wall, and they, you know, just this past year, you know, they have fumbled a lot of different things. But you've t- you just touched on things that they've done the last five, ten years that they, you know, are really questionable. And it was it, it's not as if it's you know, hindsight's twenty twenty. It was questionable at the time. Like we were, we were wondering 
Like, what are they doing at this moment when they were making these type of decisions? There was a lot of questions. So, you know, this is just kind of what the Pac-12 has done, you know, these past 10, 15 years, and it's all really catching up right now. And it's all in the front of our minds now because they're the one conference without the media deal. And we just want to know, you know, as Pac-12 fans, where these teams are heading or if they're staying. Because I think there's a there's the fear for me, John, is that if the Pac-12 were to disintegrate and go away and this plan doesn't work, like a team like Oregon State, where are they going to head? You know, they, they may not get into one of the power four conferences at that point. And I also think, you know, to the college football playoff point, you know, when they readdress all the all the rules and how to get into it, it's going to look better if there's only four power four teams. It'll be easier to have a playoff format of four teams get a bye, whoever wins those conferences, get that bye. And so, you know, being the Pac-12 right now seems like they're in last place. They got to make a move or else they may be in danger of uh, really going away. I think going away is an extreme viewpoint. I keep hearing people say the Pac-12 is dead, the Pac-12 is going away. And I want to know what that means. Do you think if Arizona leaves the conference, the Pac-12 is going away? No. I, what, what going away would be is if Oregon decides they're going to the Big Ten. And the Big Ten says, come on over, Oregon. You can head in. And Oregon says, okay, cool, we're going. Or same with Washington. I think those are, those are the two schools. I don't think – I mean, if Arizona leaves, it's definitely going to hurt and it's not going to look good. Yeah. But I think for or, or for the Pac-12 to go away, it's got to be one of the top two schools in Oregon and Washington. And right now, if I'm Oregon and Washington, like, I'm not necessarily leaving for sure, but I'm keeping my options open. Like, I'm, I'm listening to everything, seeing what's going on because – Right now, just the leadership hasn't been there for the Pac-12, and you know the track history, like you said, like you said, not there. So, you know, what do we have to believe on? Yeah, if I'm Oregon, though, I I'm not going to the Big Ten Conference for a partial distribution. I'm not going to give up my negotiating leverage. I'm going to continue to be Oregon. I'm going to stay in the Pac-12. By the way, there nobody's being invited, and the Big Ten says they have no appetite for adding more schools. So, I don't even know what we're talking about. So. If Oregon, Washington, Oregon State, Washington State, Stanford, and Cal were all that was left of the Pac-12 conference, I think that the Pac-12 conference would simply add four teams, probably San Diego State, SMU, maybe a UNLV, maybe a Boise State. I don't know. Maybe they would you know, go slumming and clean out the Mountain West conference. But I still think Oregon would sit back and go, hey, all we want to do is get in the playoff, and we can get in the playoff in this conference. I, I don't see Oregon leaving until the Big Ten Conference or the SEC the, say to Oregon, full distribution. So the, the reason why I say Oregon to the Big Ten is I read this and I pulled it up right now. Brendan Murphy, when he wrote the article about Colorado leaving for the Big 12, he had reported back in August that Oregon and Washington held meetings with the Big Ten about potential membership and that the Ducks and Huskies already have been, quote, vetted and approved, end quote, by the conference, according to his sources. But that the Big Ten didn't want to be the be um, where was that exact quote? I can't figure out the quote, but uh, they basically didn't want the blood on their hands of the Pac-12. The Big Ten didn't is yeah. what what their quote was. But they've already been vetted and approved by that conference. So I think that's I I take that quote and I say, well, that could be the worst case scenario that if Oregon and sure. Washington already been approved by that conference. Yeah, vetted is what we've talked with you. We might be interested in you if we ever have an appetite for expansion. But it's not. Hey, we're prone to giving you $68 million and subsidizing you. Because remember, what's Oregon worth? About 35 to $40 million in media rights value. So you would potentially have 
Northwestern, Indiana, Illinois, Purdue, Iowa, all Rutgers, Maryland, uh, all having to say, hey, we're okay paying, subsidizing. We'll take less. Oregon can have some of our money. We'll subsidize them, and they'll come into the conference and be one more team we can't beat. Like, you know, Indiana, I covered Indiana. I covered Purdue. They're not in that business, you know. They're looking around going, this is a hard enough conference as it is, and it's why I don't think the Big Ten really is going to have much of an appetite beyond what they are at right now. Do you, do you think the Big 12 could have an appetite then if, if all goes to shambles? I just don't see Oregon aligning with the schools in the Big 12. I, you know, I, I, I think I know who Oregon is, and I think Oregon would look at the Big 12 schools and go, no, no, no. Yeah. We're better than that. I kind of agree you know. with you on that one. I, the yeah. other question I have with Oregon is, even if they were to get less money than the other teams already in the Big Ten, isn't the guaranteed money of the Big Ten a better, maybe a potential better deal than an incentive-laden deal with the Pac-12 and Apple TV based off subscriptions? Like it's, I, I understand that it could be bigger and better than everybody, but yeah. probably not going to be. If I'm Oregon, I would want uh, every subscription that an Oregon fan signed up for to be my money. And I, if I'm Oregon, I would say, wait a minute, I'm good with subscriptions, but I think my brand is going to drive more subscriptions than Washington State and Oregon State. And I think that's a really interesting question. And it, and it comes back to this, Stephen. It always comes back to what don't we know about this deal? There might be some other stuff buried in this deal that nobody right. is tuned into. Right. And I think because you know that was the part that threw me off is that it could be potentially – incentivated by the subscriptions. I think that that model I don't like that at all. Like I feel like that is just like, you know, you pay, you know, a quarter a day and uh you're going to do something like it just seems like a car salesman at that point. And so that part, you know, I want to not believe, but again, it's like you yeah. said, we don't actually know what, but it what is the, the deal bu- is. That is the business model of Netflix. That is the business model in the streaming world. So MLS with, you know, they land Lionel Messi goes to Miami and all of a sudden that's a hell of a deal. So I, you know, I don't know. I, I gotta, I need to know more about this deal, and I don't blame people for having questions, but I need to see just a little more. Mark in Portland, go ahead, Mark. You get the final word in this segment. Well, this absolutely drives me insane because we're talking more about what's going on off the field than on the field. It's August. We should yes. be talking about what you know, Oregon at Washington. I think that's the key to their season to, to start the the games against the top-ranked teams, a road game. And we're not talking about any of that. We're talking about the elite and, and power and control and greed off the field. And it's 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 just sad for me to watch. But I was going to ask you guys, my package would be the NFL red zone, uh, the Ducks football games, and the Western uh, movie channel. Can you set me up with that? And how much would it be a month? All right. We'll, uh, we'll <laughs> line you up uh... – Probably for uh, you know eleven ninety nine. You know, just, uh, <laughs> eleven ninety nine a month will give you just what you want. Absolutely. I, I mean, that's really all I need anymore. I got to throw in a few things for my wife. The, yeah. the under the boat thing they got, and a couple of uh, uh, wives of Atlanta and New York the, City. Yeah. You know, the, the housewives. <laughs> the housewives of suburban Portland. That's the episode yeah, we need. There to you see. go. I'm not right. in that. Uh, yeah. <laughs> Well, maybe there'll be a reality TV show, you know, the Housewives of the Pac-12 Conference. We need the BFTV network is what we need. (laughs) There you go. Leave it here. Anna's in the studio next, plus punch it audio. And then we go to Salt Lake City late in the show. 
and maybe we'll get some news. Is Utah as unified as I think they are? We'll find out. My parents are uh, driving home from Camp Exceptional. They uh, drove up from California. They took the I-5 north, took the 5 north, and uh, came all the way to the Portland metropolitan area to help uh, run Camp Exceptional. Stayed about a week and a half, and then they made. They got in the car this morning and headed down I-5. I'm told my mom and dad were listening to the show as they were in southern Oregon. Anna's popped into the studio. What should we talk about if we knew my mom and dad were listening? Well, um, they have again won the family food competition, oh, so let's was, give credit where credit is due. This was interesting. Stephen, we do a competition because we have all these family members staying at our house. Each family cooks one night. It's five nights in a row, and we have a big trophy, and everybody grades the food and has to fill out a card at the end of the meal. It's very serious. Yeah. If it's you secret voting. Yeah. Voting on taste. Presentation and execution. And if you don't bring the heat, you get a bad grade. <laughs> there is a, uh, a score sheet that gives you up to 30 points. I've seen people get 13. I've seen people get 8. I've seen people get 12. <laughs> um, Anna and I did a really interesting entry. We uh, reached out to uh, Pacific Seafood. Shout out to the team at Pacific Seafood. And we got Lobster Tail. And we got king crab, and we got dungeness crab, and we got clams, and we got mussels, and we did a seafood boil. Sound good to you? Sounds great to me. Yeah, no. Uh, I love that you guys are very harsh on the grading system. Uh, that is, it, it's a true meritocracy. You yeah. gotta because be. the kids, the kids especially. Oh, they're horrible. Are brutal. They are brutal. They're a voting block. Yeah. They're, well, they're brutal in everything that they do. Like yeah. they will grade you no matter what you're doing. Yep. Cooking, adulting, yeah. parenting, it doesn't matter. They All are right. grading you. I, I have seen our seven-year-old daughter give give somebody a thirteen out of thirty. And write good job on the on the grading sheet. <laughs> well, that's the thing is she wrote in big letters, nice job on every ballot, regardless of what score she put. She's very encouraging. She was expe yeah. expecting less. She was more surprised that they got a 13. <laughs> nice but job. here we are, like really loaded up. Loaded up. With seafood. Pacific seafood, the best, by the way. Okay. They are the best. Like, I don't... I couldn't imagine. I mean, we threw in a few potatoes and corn just to spice it up a little. Yep. You know, put a little Old Bay seasoning in there. John's out in the backyard with this giant cauldron, cauldron that he uses Bubbling. for the seafood boil. Yeah, toil, toil. And, uh, and, and we only have one shellfish allergy in the whole group of 25, so we had to cook a salmon for him. But that's okay. We almost forgot about that. That was yeah. my bad. But we should automatically win. Because there's lobster involved and king crab involved, but we did not win. No. We came in second, and we lost to spaghetti and meatballs. <laughs> <laughs> Prepared with love by Grammy and Papa Tony. My parents provided the winning entry, and the grandkids, I think the grandkids are biased. Well, of course they're biased. All, all my parents do is... They do spaghetti and meatballs, and they say, hey, everybody, we're making Sundays for dessert. And they've got, you know, ice cream and M&Ms and chocolate toppings and whipped cream, and the kids are like, 30, 30. <laughs> it's just 
Oh, you can't know. We're up against experience there. Your parent, your parents are in their seventies. They've been making like they've got PhDs in that spaghetti sauce. You know, that's, that's... grandma's spaghetti sauce. Uh, grandma Canzano's yeah. spaghetti sauce. There's so. some generational genius yeah. in that. So I can't. It's really hard to compete. And meatballs. They they made like forty five meatballs. The, you know, they had to prepare those, roll those the night before. And these yeah. are not bread balls. Because uh-uh. sometimes when people do meatballs. What's a bread ball, John? They, well, some, some people t- don't know what a bread ball when, is. When they do, when some restaurants do a meatball, ask yourself as you're eating it, is there bread in it? Because some of the restaurants will put breadcrumbs and they'll roll it into the meat. And, and, you know, you get these giant meatballs that are not all meat. Like they, they just include a bunch of bread. And it's, you know, in an Italian family, you pay attention to such things. Can you make a good red sauce? Nick Aliotti and I talked about this at Pac-12 Media Day. He was like, do you consider pesto a, you know, are you a red sauce guy or are you a pesto guy? And I'm like, I'm a red sauce guy. Like, you're always a red sauce. Like, I like pesto. I'll have it. But I judge you on your red sauce, your meat sauce. So Grandma Canzano's Italian sausage in the meat Seasoned just right. She cook it. She cooked that sauce for two days. I know. Two days. It was good. It, it sat. I'll be honest. I graded it like a 27, 28 out of thirty. And frankly, yeah, be, they've be won this darn food competition more than anybody else. Twelve years, they've won it four times. We've won. We got three wins. You and we I have three wins. We're second. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah. My brother. I think the my first brother's year, got one. People gave us the win just because they thanked we us for hosting. hosting. Yeah. They it was were kind polite. of a pity win. I'll take it. We're on the trophy. I'll take it. Steven, if you were cooking in yeah. a cooking competition, what would your go-to be? What's your signature dish? Um, well, can it, is, it, is it like a family dish? So it's like me and Coach Vaughn like together? Yeah, 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 yeah. Your okay. whole family. Yeah. Your entire family uh, is we, charged For 25 cooking. people, what would you cook? Yeah. Oof, that, is, uh, that is a lot of people. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't know. Uh, if I'm cooking, it would have to be like uh, chicken wings. I can do mm-hmm. those. I can do those really mm-hmm. well. And she makes a great flavor, great sauces with it. So okay. we'd probably do that. Um if she was making it, she'd probably go with like uh, like a red beans and rice. This uh, it's a bunch of like beans and vegetables yeah. and uh, sausage. That would be a side. That'd that counts a side. as a side. Because there's rules to this competition. Yeah. You have to do a main. You have to do oh, at geez. least one side, and you have to do a dessert. It's got to be a complete meal. Yeah, so this is like uh, this is like chopped on the Food Network, huh? Yeah, yeah it's harsh. Everybody else sits around when it's your day to cook. I just want to judge. Can I just judge? Or? Yeah, you get to judge. Four of the five days. I just you don't want to. Wanna, I don't want to cook though. I just want to. That's judge. the whole thing. There's one day. That's the whole reason it was invented in our family because it makes one day a living hell. <laughs> And the, re- and the rest of it is okay. There's a lot of yelling between the family members who are cooking on yeah. that day. Okay, and here's what made our day particularly bad. Okay? We're oh, yeah. I'm sitting on like 1,100 pounds of shellfish, and then Colorado decided to leave the Pac-12 conference. Yeah. It was Wednesday of last week. Yeah, thanks, so, Colorado. Camp Exceptional. I'm dealing with Colorado. I'm getting the cauldron going. I'm adding the seafood in the correct order into the cauldron while I'm working the phone lines. And and I'm supposed to be on vacation, by the way. It was a vacation day. And everybody's going, you know, what's going on? Is the Pac-12 over? Is the Pac-12 over? Yeah. And so um, it was a little bit of a stressful day. Yeah. But we pulled it off. We pulled it off. We got second place. That's okay. I'm okay with that. Yeah. You know, some of the other people did pulled pork. Mm-hmm. So, you know, one year, Anna and I cooked an entire pig. We did. Yep. We cooked a pig. We, we got... roasted a whole yeah. pig in our backyard. Yep. We the... didn't bury it. We put it in this thing that looks like a coffin. Yeah, La Cajachina. 
Is that what it's called? It's called La Caja China. The hot box? So Coach yeah. Vaughn is in. She texted me. She was bad at my answer. Um, <laughs> what did she suggest? Street, oh, yeah. street tacos. Street tacos oh, for sure. Oh, nice. Street tacos would do well. Street tacos in place of the wings. Yeah, because we, we've actually done this before for parties. Like she does a combination chicken, shrimp, and steak. It's all, and I make the yeah. shells. Oh, you're in. Shell, shells homemade, yeah. I had an idea that didn't fly well with the family because it's, it's, it's my family with Anna. It's my sister, my older sister and her friends. They cook as a group. My parents cook with my younger sister as their and one. And then my brother, who is from Central California, his family cooks. Mm-hmm. And, and I said we should have relegation. The last place team should be eliminated from the competition, <laughs> and we invite a new family, a strange family, into the group who gets to compete. <laughs> I, think, I think Steven's family should come in place of my older sister and her group that finished in, in uh, fifth place. It's relegation. You, oh, get, re- you get relegated, yeah. right? Yeah, you're out. You're out of the family. Yeah, come to the Champions League. Come to the Champions League. So, Ted Lasso style. We get it done. I, All didn't, right. I didn't hear you float that one. I, yeah, I did, and everybody kind of rolled Grown. their eyes at me. Yeah. And my ideas tend to not go over well. Yeah, well. Do you think, they think I'm... It's a, good for you. Yeah, but they think I'm opinionated. And yeah. a lot of times when I make jokes, I think it's really funny stuff. Yeah, yeah. But I, there's a little edge to it. Uh-huh. And, you know, I think maybe... Then, he, then it makes people mad. My sister, you know, doesn't... It's like if I made that joke, my I know my older sister's going to hear this. Somebody's <laughs> going to tell her. Your brother said relegation, you should be off, your team finished in last or whatever. It was like by a percentage point they were last. True. But I think that's funny, yeah. right? But yeah. she won't and her friends won't. And they'll be like, you said we should not be invited. That's not what I'm saying. <laughs> what I'm just saying is maybe we give another family a chance to come in and compete since you couldn't. <laughs> All right, leave it here. You got the bald face truth. You know what we haven't talked about enough on this show? Stephen Vaughn. What is that? Anna knows, Anna knows where I'm going. We haven't talked enough about aliens. It's everywhere. Have you noticed this? That everyone's talking about UFOs and aliens in the last two weeks? What is going on? It's all over social media. It's all over the news. Experts are coming out of the woodwork. There's congressional testimony being heard. We have some friends who are geeking out on this stuff. Yeah, I was just talking to them at lunch today, and they were, they were, they were more concerned that we aren't talking enough about it. That it's like, hey, uh, did anyone notice Did anyone notice the whistleblower that went before Congress and said the U.S. has had alien bodies since the 1950s? And it's like... It was big news for about the 24-hour news cycle that we all can sustain now, and then everyone back went back to watching TikTok. And it's like, why aren't we making a bigger deal about this? It's like that movie, Don't Look Up, where it's like, you know, there's an asteroid. I think that was the premise of that movie, right? That there was an asteroid headed toward Earth, and we all just kind of didn't want to think about it. We just went about our daily lives like it didn't, like it wasn't going to happen, and it was unimportant. Do you think that the aliens have visited Earth? Do you think, uh, you know, Area 51, we've got alien aircraft, alien technology. Do we have an alien in captivity somewhere that we don't know about? It's all on the table now because that very legitimate-looking person, whoever he was, <laughs> went before Congress and yeah. said, we have biologics, meaning we have alien bodies or pieces of alien bodies. Like, it's nothing can be ruled out anymore. 
Mike Leach, the late Mike Leach, came on this show just a decade ago. Very forward-thinking, open-minded individual. I asked him whether he believed that uh, there was life in the universe besides us. Do I think they're little green men with uh, four fingers? I suspect not. Um, but what I what I think is, um, to me, it seems like it's way too much of an aberration that out of all of existence and everything, that we're the only inhabited planet. I find that to be a stray. Everybody says, well, it's impossible. You know, folks that will say it's impossible for there to be life on any other planet. Well, isn't the reverse kind of true? Um, it wouldn't the reverse kind of be true? That would, uh, it's, it, isn't it a little more unlikely that we're the only planet that has life? This is like, uh, <laughs> this is like the Art Bell show now all of a sudden. I know. Let's put on our tinfoil yeah. hats. Um, I don't know. I, I kind of wonder if, uh, don't you find some creatures on Earth to be alien-like, though? Octopus. Right? An octopus. Yes. Yes. Well, that thing. How do we know what an alien looks like? I'm just saying. Like, things that don't look like they are of this terrestrial planet. But I don't, yeah, because I, I actually look at, like, I read a book to the kids last night at bedtime about an octopus. Yeah. That escaped from some zoo. <laughs> okay. And got away, and it went down the drain, and went out to the yeah. ocean through the drain. Yeah. And I'm like... You've seen some of the ways that octopus, octopi, yeah. how they uh, disguise themselves under uh -huh. the uh, on the ocean floor. Yeah, that's not an animal I want to deal with. Looks like it could be from another country. I mean, another uh, universe. There you have yeah. it, Stephen. There, it exists. But it's, it's, asked and answered. It's yeah, <laughs> respected journalist John Gonzalo says octopus are no, but yeah. he, that's the thing. It's just what they it's what they want us to think an alien looks like. We don't know what it looks like. I think that's a fair point. Fair point. They. We don't. The but ultimate I, but, they. But I, I, they. I think Leach is right that statistically, it, you know, it is it is less likely that we are alone, that there, you know, that there is stuff out there. And the more we see this testimony, by the way, because I used to think like ten or fifteen years ago, I, I, I went, I went, you know, well, where's the evidence? Where is it? Well, we're getting some of it now. This very credible-looking man that you said that testified. <laughs> yeah, well, he's a former Pentagon guy. And what's funny, though, is that this happened like five, six days ago. And then it really did what most stories do nowadays. They just kind of cycle out. And it's like, mm. what is it going to take for something to, you know, have a longer shelf life here in the audience of the world of Americans <laughs> if aliens doesn't do it? I got a funny one, but... There's a guy, okay, so I, I talked about Bruce Barnum's dad, who, Bud, who was one of the pallbearers for JFK, right? For his, when JFK died, he was at Edwards Air Force Base. He became one of the pallbearers and escorted the body and talked about it on this radio show and whatnot and wrote about it at johnconzano.com and end of discussion, right? Mm -hmm. Just kind of thought, that was an interesting little interview. You know, he had some things to say about JFK's body and how, you know, like the chain of command on JFK's body was um, interesting because, you know, there was some kind of argument or discussion about, you know, who was in, who was the commanding uh, entity? Was it the CIA? Was it the Secret Service? Was it local police? Um, and so I, I wrote about it 
And end of story. There's this dude who's a JFK conspiracy blogger. Okay. He won't leave me alone. <laughs> okay. He wants to interview me. Oh. I, I wasn't there. Right. Okay. Yeah. I don't have that intel. Yeah, this is extremely third hand. This is like, you want to interview me about your conspiracy theory about JFK. Yeah. I got to be honest with you. I want no part of that. Because you know what happens? I do that interview and get quoted on what I was told by someone else. Now suddenly, what, I have got JFK people camping in the front yard? Like wanting more answers? <laughs> Demanding the Zapruder films, the misting frames? I don't know. The grassy knoll. It might have just been a grassy knoll. Slippery slope, John. <laughs> Once you buy one do you conspiracy think, theory. Do you think we should bring that guy on the show? I don't know. Do you think it would be a good interview? Just bring him on. Hey, let's have this discussion in a public forum. Yeah. Sports radio show. Let's talk. You answer. Ask me all you want to ask me. Yeah. About JFK. Mm -hmm. All right. I wasn't. A, I wasn't there. Mm -hmm. <laughs> That's my answer. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. I know what you know. I googled it. Sam's in Vancouver. Wants to talk aliens. Thank Sam. you. Thank Sam. you for paying attention, Sam. Sam. What's up, man? Hey. So I think we need to get him on the show for Neil deGrasse Tyson to answer some of these Ooh. questions. Second I of like all. That. I mean, we really got to think, man, the, it, the universe is so big. How can we be the only ones? And, man, I just watched that video when I was listening to you guys because I don't really pay attention to that kind of stuff. But I have never seen some guy so sure of right? what he was saying and just so confident in what he was saying. And somebody pissed him off. But that guy, I was like, wow, there's some stuff going down, man. And Get him on the show. It's what there he's not go. saying, too. It's what he's not saying. And, he's saying he's and, he can disclose more behind closed doors, but he'd go to jail for disclosing a bunch of classified information. It is unbelievable. But you see these people that are freaking out on the airplanes about this person's not real. This person's not real. Dude, I don't know what's going on, but, you know, <laughs> something's going I, on. I found out even weirder that that woman who was like, this person's not real. Yeah. No one can find her now. I really, I never really got to the bottom of that story. No one can find her. I thought somebody was she just losing this, their mind on a plane. Yeah, that's what it looks like. That's what it always looks like in the movies. Okay. Someone's on the wing. No, no one's on the wing. You're crazy. <laughs> that's Twilight you know? Zone. <laughs> oh, we chuckle, but they're coming for us. In fact, they're already here. Are, These it, phone lines should be full right now, I'm telling you. What we're if, just we're just living in ignorant bliss right what now. What if we're the aliens and we don't know it? <laughs> what if we landed here, we took over, we're the aliens and we don't we're unaware of it? How it's about possible. that for a movie? Yeah, yeah. How about those pyramids yeah, that have no hieroglyphs in them? Huh? Yeah, yeah. Maybe it's us. <laughs> we wiped everyone else out. Chew on that during the break. Five at five next. All that talk about. UFOs, aliens, eating contests. A lot of people on Twitter saying that uh, Stephen Vaughn's street tacos would be a thing. Be a formidable thing. We will see how that works out if he's ever allowed into the eating contest. Uh, Anna's got her five at five. Are you all ready? Yep. You're ready to do it. Mm -hmm. All right. We'll do uh, the five at five, among other things, uh, in this segment. Uh we are ready to do this. These are supposed to be the five biggest stories that you see. Are they five? Are they big stories? 
most interesting stories. All right. I like the perspective you bring. Yeah. I like it. I wouldn't always say they're the biggest stories. Okay. That's all right. It's very subjective. Is Damian Lillard going to make your five at five? No. Not today. Steven, the latest on Lillard, because I think we should address it here. Yeah. Top of the hour. Um, one of the one of the big stories in the state is what hasn't happened today in Blazers world. Yeah. Uh, from what I've heard, I've asked people around, and uh, the consensus back is nobody knows a thing. A bad word <laughs> thing. Nobody knows a bleeping thing. Yes. Nobody That's knows. Yeah. But basically, what is the word? Miami still wants Damian Lillard, Miami but Blazers wants, yeah. aren't even open to discussing that? Yeah, Miami wants Dame. The Blazers don't want to give Dame to Miami. And there's even some question. Some people would question that Dame wants to stay in Portland. Some would question that you know Joe Cronin doesn't want to trade him to Miami like he's already said, I won't trade him there no matter what. Hmm. Nobody knows the thing. Do you think Miami's being unreasonable? That they're trying to get something for nothing. Um, well, I don't call that unreasonable. I call that just playing the hand that they're dealt because uh, Dame and Aaron Gooden put themselves in a bad spot by saying we're going to Miami or nothing. So I think Miami is taking advantage of it. I don't blame them at all for trying to get a guy like Dame on your team for not a great return back. So, no, I don't think so. I don't know, though. I, I think it takes no brains to make a deal that only works for you. Like, I'm a big I'm a big proponent of saying – Good deals work for everybody. Like, you, you know, it's hard to get a deal that works for both sides. But I, I'm always, I guess, a little bit put off when I see teams offer something and I go, yeah, that works for you. But it's it's like fans who propose trades. You know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah, I don't know. No, I, I get what you're saying. I just I just think at the same time, like Miami knows, you know, if Portland's Portland's already given in to CJ McCollum where he kind of wanted to go, Norman Powell where he wanted to go, they see the right on the wall. Dame wants to go to Miami. They think at some point Portland's just going to give in and give him to Miami. So I don't, I don't blame them for doing that. But yeah, I agree. They could, uh, they could help solve the problem by uh, sweetening it up the deal a little bit. The five at five, five biggest stories is Anna sees them. The five at five. Anna, number five story, or number one story is. <laughs> Sorry. We can go in reverse Let's order. Do it. Yeah, yeah, we can count down to number one. Uh, speaking of trades, Justin Verlander uh, made news today. Uh, he's being traded back to the Houston Astros. This is only mm. after half of a season with the New York Mets. Uh, doesn't come as a huge shock because the Mets traded away Max Scherzer. That's really hard to say. Scherzer. Max Scherzer. Yeah. But I guess the fans didn't really expect Verlander to be heading back to Houston that quickly. And uh, this does seem like one more notch on what's happening with the Mets this season. But it does make Astros seem like it's going to be a decent team again. In the yeah, everybody hates the Astros. You're either with the Astros or you're the rest of Major League Baseball. You know, it. it's – I just I, – I don't like the Astros. They have become what the Dodgers used to be in my world. And I don't like that. The trade deadline – this was probably the headliner of the trade deadline. Is that right? Like, you know, it, you know, Scherzer, Scherzer and mm -hmm. Verlander. Or Verlander, I'm sorry. Yeah. And I, I just, I don't like the Astros. I don't like what the Astros represent. I don't know if that's going to go away until like a whole cycle of Astros players that were there for the cheating scandal go away. And, you know, I, I can't root for that team. And I'm a National League person. So I don't know. Difficult. Difficult. 
number two story. Or four. Uh, I want to know what you guys think about this. So two-time World Cup winner Carly Lloyd isn't pulling punches uh, for the U.S. women's national team. So the Americans had a OO draw. I guess that's redundant. Had a draw against Portugal. And that tow- the tie lets the team move on to the knockout rounds. Um, but the U.S. is going to do that as a number two seed, so it's going to be a much harder path for them to the final. And so Carly Lloyd, who's been a winner before, is saying that that team is not headed to the championship game. She's saying today mm-hmm. was uninspiring, disappointing. They don't look fit. They're playing as individuals, and the tactics are too predictable. They are lucky, she says, not to be going home right now. And uh, she's taken some flack for being yeah. that harsh. And she, in like particular, it. was criticizing them for their behavior after the game because they were dancing and laughing and taking selfies. And she said, you know, there's one thing about being courteous and greeting fans, but it's, it's another thing to be celebratory like that. She also said the player of the match was the post, meaning the, the post on the goal, because <laughs> Portugal had a shot late that hit the post. So she's basically saying we did nothing. It was in stoppage time. It would have eliminated the U.S. if if the ball had gone in. Here she is. I have never witnessed, and just seeing these images for the first time right now on the desk, I have never witnessed something like that. There's a difference between being respectful of the fans and saying hello to your family, but to be dancing, to be smiling. I mean, the player of the match was that post. You were lucky to not be going home right now. I think somebody's got to say it. It's not, you know, look, this isn't collegial time. I don't think she's being unfair. They were uninspiring in their play. I saw, you know, I, I pointed this out earlier. A couple, uh, Dan Wetzel had a tweet. He said, you know, they wanted to be paid like the men. They didn't want to play like the men. Yeah. You know, the men's team, very mediocre in some World Cups. Women's team looking mediocre. Number three story, or also known as number three. <laughs> it's like a palindrome. Uh, CBS Sports and Nickelodeon are doing something that I think is pretty smart. They are going to do an alternate broadcast of the next Super Bowl. Super Bowl in February 2024, only because I can't read the Roman numeral numbers, will feature Nickelodeon doing a broadcast that is kid and family centric. It will involve slime. It will involve uh, eye-popping on-field graphics, probably kid reporters. I think this is so smart because I'm going to assume that, you know, the parent company here that owns both is um, basically taking one event, one product, and marketing it in a different way to a completely different demographic. And I think that's brilliant. I've seen them do this before with... um with uh, other events, yeah, and it's been successful. Or at least it's, hey, look, it doesn't hurt to try, you know? Yeah. And you draw some new audience, roping in some younger fans. Our kids will watch. Not a not a bad thing. We'll have to have two televisions on, I guess. No, right? we're not doing that. We'll flip. We'll flip back and forth. <laughs> oh, we'll use picture in picture? We're not going to be one of those families that has like four TVs going in the living room for a game. <laughs> Uh, I like it, though. Uh, the number four story. I'm a little surprised on the trade deadline story, by the way. Why? That you didn't bring up Rich Hill. Oh, who's that? 19-year <laughs> big league veteran. Oldest <laughs> player in baseball this season. Okay. At 43. Uh, he will, he's been traded to the Padres, which means he'll have played now for 13 teams in his 19-year career. 
he becomes just the third player ever to play for at least 13 clubs. Does Not good enough for the five at five, huh? If we had a sixth, he makes it? Like I said, not the most important <laughs> stories, biggest stories. Can you imagine? <laughs> it's, just, it's too bad he doesn't have a better last name, yeah. Hill. Because, like, if his last name was Simpson, they could call him Suitcase Simpson or something cool like that, you know? <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah. Shaw, Suitcase Shaw. Well, earlier today, you know? Judah and me were talking about old baseball players, and we, we found ran across Jamie Moyer. Mm-hmm. Did you know, John, he pitched at 46 years of age? He pitched into the seventh inning of a World Series game? <laughs> 46 years old. Old-timers game and also a regular ge- season game at <laughs> so the same time. Better than Rich Hill, Jamie Moyer. There's just some positions you can get away with that, and there's some positions you can't. You put a 46-year-old in center field, and you got a circus. What's easier, being a kicker in the NFL as a 46-year-old or like a relief pitcher? I think kicker. I think kicker. Kicker's got to move like four feet in each direction. That's it. You know? Like a lefty specialist out of bullpen, though? Yeah, I don't know, though. As a pitcher, we've seen some some bad bodies on the mound. You know, Rick Russell back in the day. You've seen some bad bodies. Bartolo Colon. Bartolo Colon. <laughs> oh, yeah. You've seen, uh, you've seen some issues. There's nothing better, though, in a football game when the kicker has to make an athletic play like a tackle. You know? <laughs> There's a bad snap, and suddenly the kicker is turned into a tackler. Oh, that's always good. <laughs> All right, the number four story. Uh, Detroit Lions coach Dan Campbell has revealed on a podcast that his idea to have a pet lion on Detroit's sideline during a game did not go over with go over well with the NFL league office. He he said that the principal owner of the Lions, Sheila Ford, uh, actually had no issue with his desire to have a lion become this mascot, but uh, the league was not down with it. And that's probably for the best. You think so, though? Yeah. I don't know. I think they, you know. A lion. They're doing, I guess it could go bad. There's there's some downside there. Well, it's not It's not college. This is a professional race, John. Yeah. That seems <laughs> more some, college to me. It's there's, not a buffalo. Yeah, there's some potential downside, I guess. You have to weigh that when, when you're doing this. <laughs> What's giants, the worst that can happen? The Giants have a giant on the sideline? No, the Giants <laughs> had that stupid, crazy crab. On the sideline for a number of years, which was um, a the whole San other Francisco story. Francisco. Yeah, they put a crab out there, and uh, a whole bunch of people um, did not it did not go well, so to speak. Yeah. So bad mascots about. Mm-hmm. There's one more. There's one more here. Okay. Okay. This caught my eye. It's number five. Kevin Durant uh, not only is taking credit for the NBA lifting its ban finally on marijuana. There's a new seven-year collective bargaining agreement uh, between the NBA and the Players Union that went effective July 1st. It officially lifts the ban on weed for players. He says about time. He said he personally contacted Adam Silver to lobby for the removal of that ban. He says it's basically used like wine now, league-wide. Um, but what really caught my eye was what he was talking about in terms of NBA team ownership someday and his interest in becoming part of an ownership group. Okay. And he has said that he wants to own a team out of Seattle, which was the team that originally drafted him. Interesting. 
He was drafted. I forgot about that. Did you know, he, he was drafted out of Texas in 2007, and the very next year is when the Sonics moved to Oklahoma City mm. and became the Thunder. I don't. I haven't forgotten it. I forgot. But I understand why people would. Painful memory. He said Seattle would be the ideal spot. They deserve to have a team there again, and I would love to be a part of the NBA in that fashion. How wow. about that? How about them apples? Full circle. You know? <laughs> He taketh away, he bringeth back. This is where you he, look at me? He maketh a profit. <laughs> you know? This is where you Good look guy. at me? Good guy. What a guy. Tell. You're looking at me like, this isn't really a story. <laughs> this is a made-up story, Anna. But I, and you're kind of making fun of me. No, I'm Just not. with your whole face. Stephen, am I making fun of But it's okay. Of... It's okay. I don't need it to be an important or a big story. But, why, but here's my whole thing with that. Like, what? It's presented as if like he's some philanthropist giving his blessing for the NBA to come back to Seattle, and he's getting a piece of the action, you know? <laughs> well, it just sparked my interest because, you know, it is time for Seattle. I'm teaming in on this one. You're making fun of her. <laughs> <laughs> and that's okay. But I think the audience is in on the joke. <laughs> you know? I but, wish I could take a picture of the expression on his face as he's I, looking at me. Because, you know, we're in that toboggan position in the studio where I'm yeah, he did turned a full, away. Yeah. <laughs> We were in the toboggan <laughs> position. He did a full 180 I to turn and face me so that I could see his face. Because I was wanting to see if you were reading all this out of like an encyclopedia from like seven <laughs> years ago or if this was a real news story. You know? Oh, Anna's got the encyclopedia open. This lady of the Sonics <laughs> left Seattle. Oh, God. You remember Kevin Durant was part of that? Yeah. <laughs> Well, I'm glad you could turn her. I could get you to turn around and look at me. So I was like, "Where are we getting this intel? Uh, are she connected to the? Uh, is she connected to the World Wide Web, or is she reading this in the old encyclopedia?" According to my alien sources, was that number five? That was. Thank God, it's over. Wow. It's over. Okay. We really we got through it. Got through it. That is the five uh, at five. The five biggest stories going. Most on. interesting. My most interesting stories. <laughs> according, that are, according to me. According to Anna, <laughs> five pretty good stories uh, that are happening, that, that allegedly happen. You're welcome. <laughs> <laughs> um, we should all have to offer a sixth story when you <laughs> oh, when yeah. you do that. It's great. Like Stephen should be like Stephen could give us yes. some gem. That surely, he's been surely there was something I forgot, Stephen. You know, we're overlooked. I have. About, uh, yeah. Yeah. There's uh, some Reddit stuff online that I think is really funny right now. Oh, there's apparently right? there's apparently a meeting between Brett Yormark and Robin Roberts of Arizona. John, they're meeting at a mystery restaurant in Dallas. And apparently mm. Brett Yormark ordered a mushroom soup. <laughs> there's uh, wow. there's, there's reports on on the on the ground there. Really? Yeah. Creamy mushroom soup. Uh, Nine dollars a cup. Eleven dollars a bowl. I've been following this. Very closely. Brett Yormark, he's just like us. He's ordering mushroom soup. <laughs> Highly skeptical. That's not a soup that you order. That's not that's not good uh it's not a good source. That's it, it was confirmed by a guy <laughs> named John Conlon that the yeah. location was at Woodlands Grill off of Forest Lane and he wow. personally saw uh Brett Yormark order a mushroom soup. Uh-huh. Why would you go have a mushroom soup and talk about, you know, top secret things that are happening? That's really and detailed. These guys don't order mushroom <laughs> soup and have these kinds of meetings. By the way, I had mush I had a little uh it reminded me of something. So, Steve Patterson, the former Blazers president and GM one time was really mad at me. He's really upset that I was critical of him and you know, they were going through some stuff and I was calling him on it and so uh his people called my people 
and arranged for a sit down. We were supposed to have air quotes here lunch. Okay. <laughs> yeah. So uh, this is when I didn't understand that there's a two there's two or three different kinds of lunches. There's a lunch that's an actual lunch. Yeah. Where you're going with somewhere going with someone to go eat. Yes. This is the lunch most of us have. Yes. The purpose is to eat. Right. The the rest anything that else that happens in the lunch is secondary, third, yeah. fourth, you know, mm-hmm. doesn't isn't as important as the actual sustenance that is happening during the sit down. Correct. Okay. Second kind of lunch is a we're gonna go to lunch, but it's not really about the lunch. Yeah. I just need a public place to meet with you and we're gonna um we're gonna have a conversation. Yeah. And I don't even know if I'm gonna order food. Right. Food's not important, yeah. and in fact, we're just using the public space to sit down and have mm-hmm. lunch. Yeah. There's a third kind of lunch, and I'll get to it in a minute, okay. but it was the second kind of lunch that Steve Patterson had invited me to, yeah. but I thought we were going to the first kind of lunch, right? because Steve Patterson had gone, remember I had the document where he was refunding Darius Miles' fine money to Darius Miles, Oh yeah. I and I, I got a hold of the document, it was $50,000 they had fined Miles, then... <laughs> Patterson cut a deal with Darius Miles' agent to give him the money back, Jeff Wexler. <laughs> I got the document that the Blazers had prepared to give to Darius Miles' agent saying they were going to refund the fine with interest. Now, publicly, they were saying, we'd find Darius Miles. He's going to be punished for not suiting up and for being insubordinate. But I got the document that said, hey, we're going to give you your money back. Plus this is interest. Just plus interest. Wow. This is a public show. Okay. So um, Nate McMillan, the Blazers coach at the time, when he found out, he thanked me, and he was like, you know, basically I'm fired. You know, he knew yeah. he knew that they were undermining him. Right. Okay. So uh, I write it. I write that this document exists. Steve Patterson goes on local TV and says that I'm lying, Ooh. that I made it up. Yeah. No such document exists. I couldn't possibly have it. Yeah. This was before I published the document. I had the document in hand. Okay. Okay. So then I published the document, and he said, well... It's a uh, misrepresentation uh, of of the negotiation, <laughs> okay. right? And then I think he got nervous that I was going to sue him. I really wasn't oh, yeah. because he had called me a liar. Right. And I think some people told him, hey, you can't say that. Uh-huh. That's defamation. And he's got the document. Yeah. So Patterson called and said, or his people called and said, Steve would like to have lunch with you. Mm-hmm. He wants to apologize. Okay? Yeah. I thought we were having lunch. Okay. He invites me to some cafe yeah. that's over on Broadway. Okay. His side of town. Yeah. And it's a sandwich soup shop. Yeah. Okay. The time that he invited me should have alerted me. Which was? It was like a 1045, 11 a.m. ish. That's an early lunch. Type lunch. Yeah. That's real early. And he said, you know, I'll meet you there, whatever. I got there. I ordered first. Which yeah. was a mistake. Mm-hmm. I said, I'll have a sandwich. Yeah. Steve Patterson said, I'll have a bowl of soup. I knew it wasn't a lunch. It wasn't a real lunch. He had another lunch after, for sure. He was just having a bowl of soup to make me feel like we were having lunch. Pretend food. So he watched me eat my sandwich. Yeah. And he apologized to me. Was it a messy me. sandwich? Did you make that mistake, I too? I don't know. It was like a tuna salad or okay. something. He watched me eat my sandwich, and he apologized to me. And Ooh. I said, Steve... I said, just get you. It, I'm not out to get you. Yeah. Just do the right thing. I'm going to catch you doing the right thing. Like, yeah. I've had that conversation with a number of people. Right. Just do your, just forget about me and do the right thing. Don't worry about me. Don't worry about the public. Don't worry about the teleprompter. Just say the right thing. Mm-hmm. You know? And he apologized, said, hey, I, you know, I didn't mean to 
call you a liar. <laughs> I didn't know you had the document. It wasn't, you know, we we hadn't decided if we were actually going to do it. Uh-huh. You know, he, he had his own spin on it. I sure. don't care. Like, okay. Nate McMillan knew yeah. that it was over. Yeah. Um, and so uh, that was the end of that discussion. But you, your mark having mushroom soup. Yeah. Maybe that's not a real lunch. Some, if you go to lunch with somebody, you let them order first. Yes. And if they order soup. Yes. This ain't a lunch. Just soup. Yeah. This ain't a lunch. The the third kind of lunch is. I was going to circle back to that. The What's third kind the of lunch is the lunch, lunch you see like in uh, The Godfather, the movie. Yeah. They invite you to an Italian restaurant and you go to the back of the restaurant. It's a hit. <laughs> okay. Okay. That's the third kind of lunch. Okay. That's it. Three well, lunches. I feel educated now. Yeah. Yeah. Do you remember all that, Stephen? I don't know. You might be too young for it. Where Darius Miles got fined, and then the Blazers said, "We're gonna crack down. Yeah. We can't have this." I mean, Darius, I, I remember Darius Miles. Back. Yeah, I remember him getting fined. I didn't know about the money back part. That's pretty Gave crazy. Gave his money there. back. Yeah, that's G- pretty wild. Gave him his money back. And the problem that Steve Patterson and the Blazers had at that time is they were doing a lot of bad stuff. Yeah. People inside their own organization weren't okay with it. Well, they were whistleblowing. And there was a lot of whistle a lot of whistles yes. coming. Yes. All right. We Which should... people should do. So your mark ordering mushroom soup means what for the Pac twelve? <laughs> this is uh if, if it's true. Reading the tea leaves. <laughs> if it's here. true, I ain't I am not worried about a guy ordering mushroom soup okay. if I'm the Pac twelve. Okay. <laughs> there was a sandwich involved. We got a problem. Leave it here. Michelle Bodkin, KSL in Salt Lake City, is joining us next. Jack in Vancouver has called in. He has a uh, comment or a question about my lunch with former Blazers president and general manager Steve Patterson. I'm going to get to him. Jack, I really want to take your question. I'm dying to know what he has to say about it. But first, we're going to go to KSL's Michelle Bodkin. She's all over the Utah beat University of Utah, Utah football. It's been a busy day in the Pac-12 conference. I'd really like to take the temperature with the Utah fan base. Nobody better to do it with than Michelle Bodkin. Michelle, uh, how was today in Salt Lake City for you guys? (laughs) Um, You know, very interesting, at least from my standpoint. A lot of interesting conversations going on from the side uh, while, while everybody was in having this meeting. Uh, I, I think at the moment the school kind of views things very differently than the fans, and I don't necessarily bl- blame them for that. Uh, you know, I, as I was talking with a friend, probably about 2% of the information that, that's known on the inside of a program uh, concerning this, concerning, you know, just really anything as far as day-to-day operations and whatnot, um, you know, fans maybe only know about 2% of that. When and the rest t- of it's kept yeah. under wraps. When you're talking about um, the university's standpoint, give us an idea because BYU's in the Big 12 Conference. You, you know, Colorado, which was Utah's entry partner into the Pac-12, is gone back to the Big 12. Is there a real sentiment that you believe Utah is happy in the Pac-12, uneasy in the Pac-12? You know, the the university itself, how do you see their their footing? You know, the university itself has been a very staunch supporter of the Pac-12, and I think their words and their actions have proven that. And every conversation I've had today has really revolved around that. Utah wants to make this work. Utah wants to stay in the Pac-12. Utah believes that what they envision their future to be, you know, whether it's five years down the road, 10 years down the road, 
runs through this conference. It doesn't run through the Big 12. And now that before people get all fired up, that's not to say that it couldn't work in the Big 12, uh, and, and it's not that they're not having polite conversations with the Big 12, but that's just not really where their focus is. Their focus is on making it work in the Pac-12. They like the partnerships with Washington. They love the partnerships with Oregon. Uh, you know, ideally, I think they would love ASU and Arizona to stay, uh, but but that is where Utah's mind is, as far as I'm aware, up on the hill. Let me ask you, uh, you know, as we kind of look at the BYU part of this equation, I've heard people say it would be great for Utah and BYU to be in the same conference. What a rivalry. I've heard other people say it would never work. They don't want to be in the same conference. Help us out with that. <laughs> um, it is definitely a heated rivalry, uh, and and this media stuff has really ironed it up in a way that I don't think we've seen in a while around here. Just because uh, the the rivalry has been different since they have been in different conferences. My understanding is BYU would really like to see Utah in the Big Twelve. Utah doesn't see themselves in the Big Twelve, at least not in the here and now. And, and to be honest and fair, I. I think these two programs have been going on different trajectories for a long time now. Uh, and I, I think Utah just sees, sees themselves in a different place because they've grown in a different place for the last decade. And BYU's kind of been in a different place and they're about to take on, a, you know, a whole new adventure. Uh, at, and, and who knows how that's going to go for them. I'm, I'm excited to kind of sit back and watch that from a distance because uh, I think it's intriguing watching some of these schools, you know, make that jump. Uh, but but I think they've been on very separate paths for a long, long time. And I think Utah's gotten used to it. I don't know that BYU's necessarily gotten used to it. Um, but, but a lot of that back and forth really does come from the fans and, and that kind of long-seated hatred. I think that really started back in the 80s and the 90s when BYU went on went on their run and things looked bad for Utah. And then all of a sudden it got flipped on its head mid-90s and, and Utah's kind of been where they are and BYU's been where they are. And uh, it's, it's just been two very totally separate adventures for the longest time. And, and I don't think there's necessarily any urgency on Utah's part to hitch their wagon to BYU because it hasn't been hitched to BYU for 13 years. Michelle Bodkin is our guest. Uh, she covers Utah sports for KSL, Utah's sports leader there in Salt Lake City. Uh, this season, you got, you know, uh, the very beginnings of fall camp, the question of Cam Rising. Uh, a lot of people not sure what to do with Utah's football season. I tell people bet against Kyle Whittingham at your own risk. But what's the uh, what's the temperature in Salt Lake City as it pertains to this program? Yeah, you know, I thought the temperature was really great yesterday during our first media availabilities in, in Salt Lake. We no longer get to watch fall camp, so, you know, I don't know what it looks like. I have to take people's word for it. But as far as, you know, kind of walking in and seeing how everybody's interacting with each other um, and some of the observations we got to make at, at media day, even though, you know, that's like just such a very small part of, you know, the team and, and, and who runs it and, and who's involved. Um they're just there's confidence there. There there's a lot of confidence there there and I don't think I mean, how can you blame them? They're pretty much returning the same team that's gone them the titles the last two seasons, minus minus a few people, because obviously it's college and, and there is turnover. 
but but they're confident in who they're bringing back and and what that could potentially lead to now if we're being honest and we're being fair that schedule is brutal uh it's maybe maybe the most brutal if not the most brutal uh that anybody in the pac-12 has to face and so they're going to have to really be on their game but as you said you know, bet it, bet against Kyle Whittingham, Cam Rising, all those guys. You know, at your own risk. Yeah, when when you kind of start casting doubts like that, it seems like that's when Utah's at their best, and they do a, you know what, sit back and just watch us plow through this thing like it's no problem. So it's it's going to be a fun season. I'm looking forward to it. I think Utah's going to be really good again. But I mean, there there is some legitimate questions about where they may ultimately end up because it is a hard schedule, and there are, I think, a lot of good teams in the Pac-12 this year. Cam Rising's knee is a big story, and Kyle Whittingham said he will not start him if he's not a hundred percent. Do you have a sense yet on Rising's availability for Week One against Florida? It, right now, they are saying that he's on track. Um, he's on time. He's not ahead of time. He's not behind time. He's just on time. And so right now, Utah is just trying to be very careful with what they do with him. Uh, I know that he was out throwing yesterday, uh, but as far as anything that gets a little more physical than that, um, having to make crazy cuts, uh, I think they're going to take it slow and kind of evaluate where he is step by step and just make sure that he's solid and he's good. Uh, he, and it's it's something that's been said a couple of times in the program. The the good news is he is a proven commodity. Uh, he's a guy that has proven he knows how to play the game. He knows how to play the game at a high level. Uh, and he can be trusted, I think, you know, to maybe not get taken through the ringer through fall camp and be able to come out and produce. And, and in fact, that might be in everybody's best interest. Michelle Bodkin with us, uh, KSL in Salt Lake City. The opener with Florida, how big of a game is that for Utah, or is it more about getting to the conference championship game in Vegas? You know, How much focus is, is on week one this year? I think there's a lot of extra focus. I, it's not too often that the SEC comes out west, uh, and it's definitely never happened at Utah. Uh, so this is kind of you know another, I think, historical marker for this program that's really taken 20 to 30 years to to come up and and be someone that's respected and to have a team like Florida even consider to come out and do a home and home with them is huge. They had Michigan a couple of years ago in 2015 come out and that game was wild and there's been a lot of complaining about the fact that it's a Thursday night game. That atmosphere for that Michigan game was absolutely rocking and I expect more or less the same when it comes to Florida but I, I and I think because of the climate of where college football's at and I some of these teams are on the cusp and I would certainly consider Utah a team on the cusp they've kind of proven that they can be a consistent top 25 contender year in and year out for several years now uh, but it's it's the big hallmark thing so you know what, show off your crowd, show that you're passionate, show that you can bring TV ratings in uh, and provide a great atmosphere. Like those things matter. And I don't think that's lost on Utah. And I expect this to be a monstrous game. It's going to be a great atmosphere. And I'm really excited that the SEC gets to see what Salt Lake's all about. Oregon coach Dan Lanning was asked yesterday about Colorado departing the conference. Uh, here's what he said. Not a big reaction. I mean, I'm trying to remember when, what they won to affect this conference. I don't remember. 
Do you remember them winning anything? I don't remember them winning anything. And he walked off at the end of the news conference. <laughs> um, do you think other coaching staffs in the conference feel that way? Aren't afraid to say it? By the way, was it a good idea for Dan Lanning to say that or a terrible idea? I just can't imagine Kyle Whittingham saying something like that. Kyle Whittingham would never. <laughs> he might he might say it in a meeting maybe behind closed doors. He would never say that publicly. In fact, there I saw a joke somewhere on Twitter. I think it was on Twitter. Someone did a how much you want to bet that Kyle Whittingham and Dan Lanning were talking and and this topic came up. And Wingham's like, well, I'm not going to say it. So Dan Lanning took it on. I, I don't know if that is probably not true, but it's funny to think about. It's uh, also, but no, Kyle, yeah. <laughs> Kyle Wingham would never though. say that out loud. It's kind it of true. true. It is true. Oh, like, I mean, yeah. Here's the thing. The truth hurts, right? The truth hurts. And, and the honest to goodness truth, if, if I'm being completely and totally real right now, in a lot of ways, USC and UCLA also don't really matter because uh, between those three schools, they only have one conference championship. Yeah, and you and look, maybe uh, what like like five appear five appearances total between the three. This is not they're they're not the ones that have really been carrying the conference. They're not the ones that have been winning the championship, and they're not the ones that have been uh, in in kind of either playoff conversations or actually in the playoffs. That's been Utah, Oregon, and Washington largely with Stanford mixed in for fun. So, yeah, I, th I think it'll be interesting to see this year if that trend continues, especially in the last year of competition for USC in the conference. I think a lot of people were rooting for Utah in the title game last year. I, You know, I, I think – those that were remaining probably were except for maybe Washington and I under I understand Washington's position on that but I think most of the ones that thought that they were going to be sticking it out with the pack probably were rooting for Utah I imagine it more or less will be the same this year if if it's USC versus someone else that's sticking around uh, that the sentiment is going to be we want the one that's sticking around to to win the title because once you leave, it doesn't matter that you won the title. Uh, you're in, it's, just, it's a very odd kind of petty situation in a way uh, where you are a part of a conference, but you're kind of not part of a conference. And so I can see why the, remain, the remainders, uh, you know, want to keep that in-house with the people that want to stick it out and want to be around and want to be a part of the conference. Michelle, thank you for coming on. Uh, you and the team at KSL do a great job covering Utah sports and uh, all the sports in the region. Thanks for uh, for coming on the show. Anytime, John. Thanks. Thanks for having me. All right, Michelle Bodkin there from KSL in Salt Lake City. I wonder how many people will be rooting for somebody other than USC to win the conference championship. I want to take some phone calls. Jack in Vancouver has a question about my lunch or a comment about my lunch with Steve Patterson. All those years ago. Jack, what's up, man? Yeah, you know, uh, the way <clears throat> that you describe your lunch with him, I don't know, you may be too young to, to know this, but there used to be a TV show called Seinfeld. Mm -hmm. And there was a skit where Jerry gave this character, Banya, an yeah. Armani suit. Yeah, and I remember it. That, I remember it. Yeah, for, you know, for an Armani suit. And he ordered him a lunch, but he ordered the soup and claimed the soup was not a lunch. 
Soup's not a lunch, you, Jerry. You already know you're, you're in for a handful when <laughs> somebody claims soup is not a lunch. Yeah, I, I love it, although I didn't know at the time. How stupid did I feel when I ordered a sandwich and Steve Patterson said, I'll have a bowl of soup, and I went, oh, this isn't really a lunch. But did he take you to Mendy's? That's the question. <laughs> <laughs> did he put crackers on the soup? I don't remember. Thank you, Jack. A good yep. memory. Yeah, good, good recall there. Hey, look, I felt stupid because I was like, oh, this isn't really us having lunch. This is, let's bury the hatchet. There happens to be some food on the table. Ugh. Punch It Audio is coming up. We got the best sound from all around. I want you to be here for it. I found that interview uh, with the reporter in Salt Lake City interesting. Kind of wondering what Utah's position is as it pertains to all of this. Uh, Michael and Eugene listening on the powerhouse signal that is Fox Sports Eugene has called in. Michael, you got a question. Go ahead. John, you're doing a great job. Keep your uh, chin up. And uh, I think what I am hearing is that uh, George K. breached the trust of uh, – Nike and Rob Mullins and the U of O, and I don't think he's speaking for us in any way at all mm -hmm. anymore. And what I have heard from boosters inside is that they are very much uh, exploring all paths. And if that TV deal that was presented was a joke, and so there is zero trust left with him. Yeah. And probably what you're going to see is the ducks and dogs to the Big Ten. For a discount, Uncle Phil will bridge the gap, uh, and it's sad. I don't know what's going to happen to Utah and Arizona and the mountain desert schools. I assume they'll go to the Big 12 uh, and be in a 16-team uh, you know, jamboree. I don't want to do that either, but at least – I think Oregon and Washington are going to be in a much better paid uh, circus than what the Big 12 is. But when they do the 30 for 30, remember when we used to give Tom Hansen a hard time, the commissioner before yes. Larry Scott? Mm -hmm. He looks like he looks like FDR compared to these clowns. <laughs> he does. I think and, they, uh, I think he had a different job though. I mean, let's be fair. He had a different he job. I also think you got to be careful. Like, look, I respect you calling in, but you got to be careful because I don't know the details of the deal that was unveiled in front of the presidents today. And I've seen a whole bunch of people on social media saying it's streaming only. We don't know that. We only know that there's a large streaming component. We don't know if there's an ESPN component to it. We don't have the dollar figures. And when I hear people say things like that deal is a bad deal, I haven't seen the particulars of the deal. Like, I'm not saying it's a good deal either, but I'd like to see a whole bunch more before I say bad deal or good deal. I just think it's interesting that the president's left the meeting. We haven't seen almost nothing leak out. And so let's wait and see. Like, maybe there's a, maybe there's a linear component to this. Maybe it's better than the rest of us think. I don't know. That is fair. Um, one other thing. Uh, I Utah has done a great job. And I say this as a duck, we were O and four in big games, 95 Rose bowl, uh, the 2009 Rose bowl, the 2010 title game, 
the 11 kickoff classic against LSU, the Ducks became believable on the national stage when we beat Wisconsin in the Rose Bowl. And Utah is very good, but they are not a killer yet. They have not won the Rose Bowl. Injuries are a part of the game. They are not in the same cachet as the Ducks or Washington because they have never won anything. They won a Sugar Bowl against Alabama in, like, 04, and that was great, and I have respect. But I am not sure if uh, Coach Whittingham is a killer. I know Chip mm-hmm. Kelly is a killer. Yeah, I, don't, I, I, wouldn't, uh, I wouldn't fight Kyle Whittingham. He's 62 years old. I still wouldn't fight him. Um, there's an interesting conversation in this. And, you know, I think I want to hit a couple different things in this final segment, but that's one of them that has come up on the show today is a couple of Oregon fans have called in and, you know, sort of suggested that Oregon's in a class by itself in the conference. I think Oregon's in the upper tier of the conference, but I would put Utah and Washington in that tier of the remaining nine schools. I think those three schools are in the upper tier. I think you have another class in the middle that's a much bigger class that consists of the Arizona schools, uh, consists of, um, you know, Stanford because of the Stanford brand. I think you'd put Oregon State more recently in that middle section because the football program looks more competitive. But for a lot of years, Oregon State would be in that bottom tier. I think Washington State has teetered in the Mike Leach years. It kind of went into the middle group, but I think it, you know, it has veered back into the, the, you know, the bottom three or four just from market size and ability to compete in football. But Stephen, is Oregon in a class by itself in this conference, or is it joined by someone else? And if if it is someone else, who's who's the else? Um, I would say on the field. It would have to be them and Utah right now if you just look at the Pac-12. Like, on the field, Utah has proven to be the class of the Pac-12 the last five seasons, I would say. And they've been right up there. So I would put Utah there. I think if you're looking just, like, market-wise, it's got to be, you know, you look at the brand, the brands-wise, you know, Oregon. I think Washington would be up there with them as well. Oh, I don't think Oregon's in a class above everybody. I would put Utah and Washington right up there with them. I would also do that. And I and I would offer that Utah's got back-to-back conference championships. I think Oregon's in that conversation with what they did under Mario Cristobal. But I think Washington, in many years, has been in that conversation and now is back in it. Um, I want to uh, pivot here to what Jed Fish said today at Arizona's practice. He uh, they had media day down in Tucson. He was asked about the future of the Pac-12 conference. Here's Arizona's football coach being very careful. In the end, well, it's a matter of this team, the team of 23. So I'll take whatever questions. Obviously, I don't know what's happening with the conference. So I don't know um, what's going to happen there. But I do know that um, Arizona is a great brand and will be just fine. He's doing and saying, I think, what he can do and say. Do we have any news out of that Regents meeting today? Did uh, anything come out of that? Nothing that I saw. Uh, me and Judah were we tuned in live as it happened at three thirty. It took them about two minutes before they said we're going to go private, and then they shut off. So uh, no, have not heard anything from that as of yet. So I, I, you know, I don't. And again, Pete Thamel today, reporting on ESPN as he was reporting about the uh, the deal that the Pac-12 has, said that he did not expect Arizona to be leaving. 
and uh, not e- not at least in the next you know immediate future. I think there's going to be a whole bunch of talk about what happens with Arizona in the next 24 hours. I'm hopeful this gets you know gets resolved so we can get back to talking and thinking about the stuff that matters that really matters, like the football games, the stuff that's supposed to be a diversion. Because I think part of this for me is that all this meteorite stuff and realignment feels too much like real life. 